Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on April the 7th of 2021. I am Nick here with Chris, and it's time to talk about manga again. Can, can we first Hooray. address how, like, the regal slash uh, journalistic kind of uh, angle you now have with your current thing? Because I felt like when you turned, you almost had, like, a breaking, no, no, no. <laughs> breaking news. I know. I gotta, I gotta do the whole chair. <laughs> Breaking news coming in right now. Black Clover's still bad. And I'm like, everyone's like, <laughs> that's breaking. It's very important we make that announcement. Mm -hmm. Actually, actually, if I turn the chair, it looks like I'm going to issue a command like yeah. on Star Trek. I need it, it's turning a chair on a news on a news channel. You got to be like leaning forward a little bit. Mm, to yes. so it's like, you know, it's very important. That I tell you this thing as opposed to it's very important that we blow them out of the sky. <laughs> you could do both. That way we won't know until you turn. You deliver the statement like, I don't know. You had a little bit of a lean in on that. I think this is just going to be news. Breaking news. I've just blown up a planet. <laughs> that, by the way, that was the command I issued, but I decided to do it myself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the one thing I was going to get to push the button. Oh, imagine like that's how Grandma Tarkin runs the Death Star. It's like, you may fire when ready. Me. <laughs> the entire firing crew is like, oh. oh, oh, it's like a, like an imp, like a one man show sketch. He's like, you may fire the button, me. And it, like he walks across the side of the room like, aye, aye, me. And then the other side like runs back over. All right, affirmative, do it, and runs back. Uh, All right, I'm going to. Like, well, I bet you, you won't. Sure? <laughs> it's just people in the background be like, I fucking hate the, the fucking empire. These assholes always these fucking weirdos. If they're not the weird fucking evil monk people, it's the idiots like this. Meanwhile, Darth Vader is watching. It's just it is just like rapt attention. It's like, What's going to happen next? <laughs> <laughs> this bizarre new force ability has been unlocked. <laughs> For like, stupidity. He's like not even perceiving it in real time. He sees him teleporting back and <laughs> So immersed in it's of his, his stupid mask cuts off his ability. He misses when he goes from one side to the other, he disappears from view for a second. Oh man. Alright, Nick, let's talk about manga. I don't know how we transition to the uh Dark Well, Vader, some say mask. And, uh, the, the Jedi Knights, Jedi yeah. Knights. There's so, knights in this series. Okay. So, some say Star Wars is essentially sci-fi takes of Arthurian legend. Yes, um, in a way you could argue that, yes. So the manga that we read this week uh, is, uh, it's a sequel series, kind of. Uh, it's officially booked as a sequel series, yes. basically, or promoted, I should say. Four Nights of the Apocalypse, which is the current series being written by Nakaba Suzuki, the mangaka of Kango Bancho, and more recently, more successfully, The Seven Deadly Sins. Four Nights of the Apocalypse like, is promoted with The Seven Deadly Sins mm -hmm. under its title. Uh, and there are definitely a lot of uh, setting and theme similarities between the series, but we haven't exactly seen exactly how they're connected just yet, because this is still a very young series. It's only been yes. running for... A few months now in uh, Weekly Shonen Magazine, uh, the most recent chapter to be released uh, is Chapter 11. That's yes. how low there is of this now. Uh, it's available on Crunchyroll uh, if you have a subscription. And yeah. I, so, I, I wanted to just note that if you – I go through Comixology. Right. Um, and on Comixology, it is literally billed as The Seven Deadly Sins, colon, Four Nights of the Apocalypse. So in that case – the seven deadly sins part is what they lead in. That might just be a branding thing to get people aware, but yeah. So 
we haven't necessarily really met any characters that were in Seven Deadly Sins, but there is a reference to Arthur uh, that we've encountered so far. We've seen images of Arthur and Merlin, not actual them, but like paintings or imagery that p- promotes the two of them. I actually missed that. So, um, our story is centered on a boy named Percival who at the beginning of the series just kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere on this very high mountain peak up in the clouds with his grandfather. Uh, and then on shortly after his 16th birthday, uh, Percival's father, who is a knight called Ironside, comes and for some reason we aren't really privy to, uh, he kills Percival's grandfather for reasons uh, they apparently both belonged to the same order and he betrayed them somehow we don't really know so. it, he did it of course using his signature ability to turn into a truck and drive away i believe it was ironside from transformers it's a crossover correct okay. <laughs> come on nick <laughs> you don't know so. you don't know all the tra- the lame transformers by no, heart <laughs> i don't know even the cool transformers by heart okay look Y'all started talking about the Dinobots, and I'm like, oh, you mean the cool Shakespearean quoting Velociraptor guys? No, the original Dinobot. Well, fuck you then. He's not as cool. So, <laughs> Or there were multiple Dinobots in the original? I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. My knowledge of the lore is pretty limited. I, I vaguely know about it because I feel like I've done different trivia games that have like, name Transformers. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck. Which one of these stupid names is real? <laughs> pretty much. Uh... So Percival's grandfather is killed and Percival basically sets off on a journey to find his father and find out why the hell he killed his grandfather. And we've just kind of been gradually meeting the cast since then. Um, and while Percival has gone on so many true adventures, we're definitely in the fleshing out the main cast uh, portion of the series thus far. And it's not, I'm not even entirely sure which characters are even going to stick around. I'm pretty confident in two of them, but that's about it so far. <laughs> well, three, three, three characters. I think that Percival's better are going to stick around, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it very well could be like early seven deadly sins as well, where there were like, a handful of magic knights who were encountered very early on when that was like the power level of the series that as it went along, those characters stayed kind of relevant, like Gil Thunder and Howitzer and Gila or whatever. Those characters suddenly became less and less relevant, but they still kind of showed up. And I think that's the, the case we might be working in right now. Um, but I mean, who knows? Like we're in a series called the four Knights of the apocalypse. And thus far, We've met one, and mm. I don't know if another character who showed up recently is supposed to be one. We we it's it's foreshadowed everything by basically saying like, okay, here are the four knights. One of them's going to be a, go- a boy with gold power or gold magic. One of them's going to be a lad with no physical or no definite appearance. One's going to be a lad with darkness in the eyes. Now I don't know Arthurian legend at all. I know that would help a lot because <laughs> then you'd see a character named Lancelot show up. You're like, I know this one's important. But, like, I don't know all that stuff necessarily, so I don't know who's supposed to be a significant character or not, but that's kind of, like, where we're at at the moment. 
Um, I, I guess it really just comes down to uh, how do you like the series so far, Nick? I like it. Uh, it's very straightforward. Uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, I've seen in a lot of, you know, Shonen Adventure series of this kind before in terms of plot convention and stuff. But it's just done really well. Uh, the artwork is, you know, it's it's Nakaba Suzuki, so it's it's good. Uh, and the characters are likable enough and it's fun, you know, because there's some serious stuff that happens. Obviously, the dramatic stakes from the very beginning are quite heavy because, you know, you're introduced to Percival and his grandfather and they get along and they have this sweet relationship. And then his grandfather dies and he's just left on his own and he has to literally climb down a mountain to start this journey. It's very heavy stuff. Uh, and then almost immediately he runs into these like this traveling circus of of low powered mages, basically, and things immediately get goofy uh, because Percival is just this absurdly strong, innocent kid uh, who, because he's spent his entire life living in the middle of nowhere with just his grandfather, doesn't know how the world works, but he's very sweet in his naivete. Uh, he's very open towards people and uh, gets gets along well, even with people who are initially hostile towards him. He's a likable kid and uh, he resolves situations in a way that, you know, it's it's very friendly to shonen conventions of he beats you and that means you're good now. <laughs> uh, I'm currently at a point where I like aspects of it. Um, I think Percival is, is interesting in how uninteresting he is. He feels like a very old shonen protagonist at this point. Yes. Um, but in that way, he's kind of refreshing because nobody really is like that anymore, except for like Luffy, basically. Pretty um, much. so it's, it's, it's a little bit unique in that way. Um, I will say we still have some of the weird like there's there's only one instance of it happening but i remember like early seven deadly sins had a lot of weird fan service jokes and there definitely yes. is one here where there's just like a full-on scene where percival just gropes a female character mm -hmm. because she's like oh you're like four or whatever like you're like a little kid and then eventually later he's like i'm 16 and it wasn't like a trick he's just knows no boundaries and looks that young so it's like an innocent mistake but it's one of those things like oh i hope this isn't like a regular running thing but generally i think it has been a better showcase of the seven deadly sins formula especially in the sense of power levels now we haven't fully gotten to the point of here's what my power ranking is although this is the same universe so it, it is already canonically a factor that's right there's three there's three categories <laughs> you, can, you can read with an earring yep <laughs> hated that <laughs> but i definitely enjoy how nothing has felt um broken yet like that was the thing immediately in seven deadly sins every like it immediately was the craziest stuff for the very beginning like everyone was like super powered like high level fights and everything like that it, it feels a little bit more grounded right now um but at the same time our main characters powers are super ambiguous and seem to have um no limits <laughs> so far like it was a deal that the character fought a holy knight and the holy knight's like ah you must have 
an enchantment style magic. Oh no, maybe it's uh, a strengthening style magic. And then he starts shooting off little like energy versions of himself. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, hey, he fucking healed himself now. He must have hero magic. And I was like, that feels like a very nebulous, vague way of describing yeah. this character could do whatever the plot needs. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh it's kind of like everyone has a very specific type of magic except for Percival who basically has fairy tale magic where he mm-hmm. can just, you know, will stuff to happen and it does. Um but I mean as long as like the stuff that he does is not boring, you know, yeah. like it's it's weird stuff where yeah, he he's, he summons little ghostly versions of himself, then that's entertaining at least. Um but we also, I mean, I, I, I don't know how I feel exactly about the way the combat works in the series just yet. I think that, you know, it's fun when Percival just literally slaps some something and knocks it out because he's just that strong. It's like, OK, that's kind of that's kind of funny. Um, I am interested in some of the characters. I really like the way that the knights are portrayed in the series thus far because they're all these big hulking guys in armor and thus far you haven't seen any of their faces they're always hidden behind the face the uh face grill thing on their helmets um it's a really cool you know way of making them feel impersonal like the judges from final fantasy 12 sure (laughs) if you say so you know you didn't see any of their faces they just had big stupid helmets to differentiate them Look, the only thing I know about Final Fantasy XII is that's the one where the hot bunny girl is from, okay? so <laughs> Well, you know the most important part. Or originally from. I believe that they included that species in future games, but whatever. I don't know. I just I don't know Final Fantasy. I've never played a single Final Fantasy game in my <sighs> life. Ever. Oh, we have to find a Final Fantasy manga. So <laughs> I just need to do an ass explain my manga, Final Fantasy, except I don't know most of it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll have uh, someone else come in. But um, the... I was afraid you were going to suggest that we play a Final Fantasy game. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have 40 hours to dedicate to any of this shit. Uh, you could just play one of the good ones. So six and ten. Okay. <laughs> and boom. Take that, everybody. A bunch of people are going to be like, ten isn't good. Fuck you. It's great. <laughs> that's the one with the girl group, right? That's ten, that that's ten, ten two. two, ten two. Okay. Original ten is just uh, uh, Titus complaining about his his mind. No, Final Fantasy nine sucks. I'm sorry, everybody. This I'm gonna get real here. Final Fantasy. I played that when the pandemic first hit last year, and I had nothing to do. Like my job wasn't open. There we were stuck inside. I had all hours of the day, and I still decided doing nothing was better than playing Final Fantasy nine to the point. It's just so boring. <laughs> That's really harsh. <laughs> I'm sorry, we got super off topic on. Cool. Seven deadly sins. <laughs> uh, so, I. It's still very early in the manga's run. Uh-huh. I find it charming, and I definitely feel that, like, if this were a manga that, you know, had shown up, I know that it would never have happened because, you know, Suzuki's been published through Kodansha, not Shueisha, but. If it had shown up in Weekly Shonen Jump, then I feel as though we would have read three chapters yes. of it and probably been like, this seems pretty good. Let's keep reading. Yes. It. I I definitely think that we would have done that. 
Uh, we did, in fact, get asked the question, like, hey, are you guys going to read this regularly? I feel like I'd be open to it. Um, I think that we're a little bit busy right now in terms of the manga we're covering. And maybe we'll wait until things are a bit more fleshed out before we make that decision. I was say, so, um, uh, two things. First, um, fuck. Okay, now I have to do the tangent part first. I got excited and I checked out because uh, it said behind the scenes images, the first Powerpuff Girls are there. And I clicked it and it was uh, him. And then someone just put Little Nas X next to him. And I don't know why. It's really tickling me. That's, oh my God. Somebody call the CW right now. Um, so great. Uh, I watch that show just for that. All right. Uh, as to the actual thing, um, yeah, I agree. I think this is a series I'm probably going to just keep reading naturally because I already have the Crunchyroll or Comicsology subscription. It'd be nice to feel like I'm justifying it more than just for Eden Zero. Um, so I'll probably keep reading. Now, whether or not we add to the recap, who knows? But I will say this: um, things aren't looking super hot for ITLC right now. That could always change, but that could be a series that could be leaving the recap. Um, and there's other stuff that might be coming and going. So I, I think there's a chance that, you know, maybe things change and then that's a spot we could potentially put this series into, you know? It feels like things are kind of ramping up. I know that there have been some series that, you know, are outside of just typical jump that we have added in, but like, you know, Kaiju number eight and stuff, but stuff happened in that series right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this was stuff's been happening, but you're still kind of like, okay, what's going on? Um, so it feels like things are still building in it. Uh, yeah. I feel like I get the impression that we'll probably know sooner than later if we want to, but uh, you know, stay tuned, keep, keep watching and slash listening to weekly long recap to find out if uh, we keep on reading this series. But for the time being, if you liked the seven deadly sins, I do recommend you check this out or, if the Seven Deadly Sins was a series that you thought looks kind of neat, but you didn't want to have to catch up on it because when you found out about it, it was you know a few hundred chapters deep, like I did uh, when, I, when I started reading it. Uh, I would definitely say like, okay, you know, this is a chance for you to check out a series by the same guy that is very similar. Yes. Um, so uh, I do think that it's that you know, as people that read a lot of shonen battle stuff, this seems like a good example of it. Um, so if you like that kind of thing and, uh, you're in particular looking for like a medieval kind of, kind of series, well, here's another one (laughs) because there's quite a few right now. I think it'd still be good. Yeah. So there you go. Let's talk about the series this week, Nick. So we don't have My Hero Academia this week, so we're just going to be jumping straight into, well, staying on Crunchyroll into Eden Zero, which we have found out. We have Kaiju number eight. Oh, we're doing that first. Never mind. <laughs> I'll rearrange my tabs. Oops. Okay, there it is. So Kaiju number eight is chapter 30. Last time on the series, because I believe we were on a break last week. Uh, yes. Mina showed up uh, right in the nick of time because Hoshina was not doing so well. And I got to learn that that tiger with her is, in fact, actually there. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great if you would. I, I shouldn't have said anything. And then this week you're like. 
wait, that's an actual tiger. Or does she have spirit control powers and she manifests it into a physical object at times? And she just like perpetually used her powers to just have a tiger with her. I'd be like, I feel like I know something about this woman. (laughs) I'm strong enough to just constantly have a spirit tiger following me around. So I'm going to do that because I... (laughs) Goals, man. Shit. I want like, I'd love a tiger. Well, a tiger that I know wouldn't kill me, but yes. <laughs> I didn't even say that. Let's let's let the tiger be itself. I'm not here to control it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of a tiger if you're not, you know, if a little part of you is not perpetually afraid, it's going to maul you. H- history shows again and again, Nick, that nature points out the folly of man, so. It's true. So Mina's got her giant it's ass from Godzilla. Gun. Okay. The song. I'm... Okay. <laughs> what, the, the, the song by Blue Oyster Cult? Yes, but also then yeah. redone by Serge Tankian for King of the Monsters. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> I've waited three years to use that line. <laughs> I just needed the moment. Well, I'm surprised it didn't come up earlier, considering that we've been talking about a kaiju series for the past several months. So. I was waiting for the opportune moment, and it finally showed up. You know, I'm not here to try to force it in. And you had the exact reaction that I'm sure you wanted the entire time you were reading. I'm assuming the applause and confetti is going to come any moment now. I, I mean, if you wanted to edit it before we upload this, then you could. So. I could. That's a lot of work. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Mina has shown up. She shoots her giant gun and blows away one of the kaiju's arms. And uh, she then gets a report on where the thing's core appears to be, which is basically near its spine. Uh, But when she tries to fire another shot, it, I guess, dodges. I don't really I guess there is a little bit of motion blur on its body. So it moved a little bit. So a chunk of its stomach just gets blown up instead. So they realize that Nali is this thing. Uh, capable of dodging attacks from Mina from this far away, but it's also regenerating more quickly. So Oshina decides he's not done in this fight yet. It's time for one final push. And so he unleashes his combat power again, only 63% this time, and starts hacking away at the kaiju's legs to try and create an opening so Mina can blow it away. But uh, immediately it turns its attention to him, starts trying to stomp him, and... and uh, so he says that he's got to keep going. He's got to you know, put, put out more strength, but he, he can't get enough strength to cut through the legs. So what can he do? And that's when Kikaru shows up with her axe. And I, I have to say, when I was reading this the first time and she just comes dashing in out of the smoke from behind him, that's the feeling you want to get from a battle series. Mm-hmm. I just got so excited just from her showing up because I don't know. It's just, it's just, yes, it's, it's that moment. It's just like in wrestling. And it's why I think like tag team wrestling is just more interesting than like regular one-on-one wrestling. Cause there's just that moment where the way the camera has been placed, you've stopped paying attention to certain people. You think it's done. One guy gets hit with his finisher is about to go for a pin. And then they just get like super kicked out of nowhere by the tag team partner or something like that. You're just like, fuck. Yeah, this is way this is so fucking cool. Like it just keeps you like you you think you're you're one way and you get lost in it. You stop thinking about the narrative and you just get along with it. Yeah. So 
Shinomiya tries to slash through the leg as well with her axe, but she doesn't, uh, she can't even scratch it just yet. But Oshina just says, just keep going. I'll cut open the shell and then you chop into him. And the two of them start working in tandem. He races by, tears through the armor, and Kikaru smashes its kneecap and it buckles and cracks. Uh, but Kikaru's power overheats at that moment. So she can't chop again like that. She collapses to the ground. So Hoshina says, I've got it. Good work. He uses his eightfold slasher again and just dices the thing's leg into ribbons. It ain't gonna move no more. And so Hoshina says, I have to make sure it doesn't regenerate. So I just need five more seconds. And he demands that his body move while thinking about what Mina told him in the flashback in the last chapter. When I need to shoot a threat, can I trust that you'll clear a path for me? And he just tells himself, I got to cut, I got to cut and cut and clear a path. That's the only thing that proves I exist. And a huge explosion hits the kaiju in the back, exposing its spine and its core. And Mina has one magazine left. And she says as she prepares for the final shot, thank you, Hoshina. I'm glad I picked you as my vice captain. Now it's time for me to shoot the threat. And Hoshina looks up at the kaiju and says, that's the captain of this base. I told you earlier, didn't I? You picked the wrong customers to scrap with. And uh, the kaiju gets upset, and then it blows up. <laughs> so, bit of a spoiler. There were a number of really cool action scenes in this chapter. This is but the first, but it was a really cool one. So, Yeah. Oh, you meant this week, rather? There were a lot of cool scenes in, in manga this week, okay, uh, yeah. particular fight scenes. Yeah, I, I think this is a really cool scene. Uh, I, I like the chapter just in general. I think there's a lot of really cool elements to it. Um, I love, uh, Kikaru is her name? Kikaru Shinomiya. Shinomiya. I always want to call her Shinomiya, and then I'm like, no, that's the dude from, uh, World Trigger, and then I'm like, no, that's Ninomiya, and then it continues from there. Shinomiya coming in, I think was a super cool moment. Uh, I also, though, like that what she did was pretty small, but also very big. Like, she didn't, you know, scrap one-on-one with this thing. She's not at that level, but she does manage to get a very decisive blow, which is important. Um, There's a part of me that's like, I wonder if this is it, because it definitely feels like everybody's Mm -hmm. doing it, but Kafka hasn't done really anything for a while. That's right. So I wonder if there's, like, some other element here. We also haven't, I felt like, gotten the full picture of this attack yet like i feel like there was a little bit more maybe intended or something like that so there's a part of me it's just like maybe this isn't over yet but it certainly feels like it is um with this whole team up attack well a number of things could happen from here i mean yeah. uh we know that uh you know people have been mopping up the hojis and stuff and seeming to have sex success with that but it's not like they're all gone mm-hmm. just yet and you know maybe this thing's been beaten maybe not and even if it's been beaten I mean, we know that there are, you know, all these monstrous kaiju in play, so maybe another will show up while they're dealing with this. So I, a lot of stuff could happen from here. I'm wondering if it's something like this guy was just ultimately a distraction. They mm-hmm. wanted to get everyone to force focused and there's like a kaiju inside the base doing something or something like that. Yeah. And it's on the telephone calling. <gasps> <them>. <laughs> I'm inside the base. <laughs> 
Okay. All right. So that Nick. was fun. Now we're going to talk about Eden Zero. Two chapters, Nick, because there were two talk- this week. We were just talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I read before we started the call to start the recording today, chapter 138. Did not know that 137 had also come out. Mm-hmm. And um, when you told me this, <laughs> I was like, okay, I really don't feel as if I missed anything. So. And you really have it. So let's start by talking about chapter 137, Empire Dice. Um <laughs> That's so stupid. We open with Zhao Mei. It's like a really bad board game. <laughs> Empire dice. Roll six dice, and uh, if you roll a two, you die. <laughs> like, this game sucks. It's only a slightly worse game than the Oregon Trail board game, which is the worst thing I've ever played in my life. It sounds like it would be awful, yeah. It's, it's great. It's just a deck of cards that you draw from, and if you draw two cards that are in the deck, you just die. And that could happen on turn once, and as a cooperative game, so you're just like, that happened to me when my uh, sister, brother, and brother-in-law played. My brother-in-law, this is like the second time we'd ever hung out with him, drew the snake bite so you die on the first turn. He's like, cool, I guess I'll just sit here for an hour while you guys lose. And that's what happened. Oh, man. That's the kind of thing that makes you like look back and be like, why were we into Oregon Trail as kids? And then you're like, because it was one of like three computer games we were allowed to play at school because it was educational. So I exclu- even though all anyone did was buy, spend all their money on, on bullets, bullets to go hunting. Bullets. Yes, that's the only reason you played Oregon Trail because everything else was awful. Um, you killed fifteen hundred thousand <laughs> deer. You carried back a hundred pounds of meat of the twenty tons you killed. You killed sixteen bears and you managed to bring back a hundred pounds. You've decimated the wildlife of this region. You've left a trail of death in your wake. I'm like, yeah. In your wake? Five miles outside of town. <laughs> it's like what fort washington or whatever is where you start out and you just you see in the background as i'm going down the trail like the wildlife in the area the trees shriveling up like every every place i leave i've harvested of all its materials i mean the amount the way that like western expansion killed off the buffalo that did sort of happen it's it's actually pretty accurate when you think about it um, anyway, so Zhao Mei opens this chapter by basically giving us the uh, narration to explain everything that's happening. Shur is going to destroy all the androids. Shiki needs to team up with the rebels, but they don't trust him. The Imperial Army is attacking Sandra. Uh, and then she also notes, oh, we're blessed with two chapters this week. I hope you enjoy them to the utmost. We'll get to that part, Zhao Mei. Don't worry about it. Um, so the Imperial Army shows up. It starts attacking. And there's like the sad little robot there. I don't know why they programmed it to cry, but it, it is like it, it, it was programmed with fear <laughs> shaking. We have programmed it with emotions, <laughs> negative emotions, so that it constantly suffers. What is the scientific reasoning for this? Because it's funny as shit. <laughs> I always think of the separatists in Star Wars as the dumbest people. They're like, I'm going to build an army of robots. How are you going to program? I will program them to be cowardly, to fear for their lives. And to run away when opportunities present themselves like alright. Oh shit, we're gonna die. <laughs> oh no! Roger Roger, don't kill me! Like, why didn't we program them to scream? <laughs> um anyway, uh so yeah, the sad little robot's scared. They're gonna kill all these robots, but the peop the robots don't seem super concerned. 
because they're like, we're not going to die. And then who should show up but the Oasis army? And they're going to start shooting these guys. But there's so many of them. What's going to happen? Boom. Shiki and everybody shows up. I would describe the action here, but this is literally like eight straight pages of just various action scenes. The only pertinent piece of information in this chapter, pretty much, is that at one point, a car comes barreling towards them. Weiss uses his power to turn like an air conditioner into a speed trap, which is kind of clever. Uh, and the car goes up into the air. And in that moment, Rebecca looks in the driver's seat and sees that there's a kid driving the car. So she jumps into the car. Of course, we get an upskirt shot. Why wouldn't we? Uh, to save the kid. At least she's wearing stuff under the skirt. Like, Well, it's, it's, it's amusing because it's very much like... I mean, it's hard not to compare it to Alabasta, except Alabasta felt like a world and not in a, a single town that really right. is just an aesthetic. Uh, and I was like, it's just that difference in One Piece to uh, hero stuff where you're just like, there was all that like fan service clothing in Alabasta, but we never got like upskirt shots of it or anything True. like that. So they save the kid. Kid punches Rebecca and she's like, Grr, I can't believe it. The, the Imperial Army is using a kid like that. Um, bunch more attacks. Uh, Pino has a little moment with the little cry crybot, uh, who I actually don't want to die. If this character dies like Eggbot, I might be a little bit sad. But again, it's because they programmed him with giant Disney eyes who could cry. So. Well, and also he is friends with Pino. It's the same robot that they that she said hi to while they when they yeah. first showed up on the planet. So if they're Pino's friend, I actually do care about them. As opposed to that random robot who just showed up and blew up immediately, which is just hilarious. So. <laughs> uh, we also get an update that Pino can now direct her EMPs. It won't affect her allies, which I'm not a science person. I didn't think that's how EMPs worked. I had that thought, but then I was like, we're in a magic space ocean desert planet. So <laughs> why do I care? <laughs> um, good wins there. He also does some some crazy combat stuff. Uh, and then the chapter ends as we go he back. He comes riding in on a, one of the fish camel things with the broadsword. This mm. dude is cool as shit. He looks like a kaiju when he's in the city as well because it's a shot yeah. from below. And I thought, I was like, what's wrong with the perspective here? I was like, no, wait, no, Goodwin's just that tall. <laughs> um, And then we go back to the temple where Fabian's there, or Fabiano rather, and he's just like, look, I gotta say, like, what do you, can, can you just step in Poseidon Nero? Like, sure, killed Psyka. Like, he, he's he's fucking everything up. And, fucking, and Nero was like, chick, 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 chick. no. <laughs> like, occasionally he's just like, oh, come on. Daddy wants to stay home and watch Golden Girls. Yes. Well, well, here's the thing. It's just a D6, a D8, and a D12. So, and it doesn't seem to be any symbols. It's just those numbers. No one knows. He seems to be the only one who knows. He could just be like, are we going to go out to the party or stay home and watch Golden Girls? Oh, no. The dice have foretold that we're going to stay home. They're like, how? Explain to me. I can't. It's the die. Hold on. Let me see if I have to explain. No, I say don't explain. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's got on top and uses dice to justify doing nothing since then. (laughs) So, 12 times 4 times 8 is 576. 
So I can understand saying there's 576 possibilities, but to apply them to any number of different situations, there must be some weird interpretations you'd have to make occasionally. So <laughs> like, I wonder... it's always the same set of options. And so occasionally he'll roll the dice and he's like, all right, what should I do? It is very important. The stake of my kingdom is, 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 is in the balance here. I, if, if I don't do anything, then this meteor will hit the earth. Put the Giornos in the oven. But all right. <laughs> so be it. <laughs> like, just leaves a battle in the middle of a fight, rides the opposite direction. I like it for like even binary choices. Like, so would you like the super salad? He's like, uh, <laughs> he just starts crying. Screams of the innocent, please. <laughs> So that's the entirety of chapter 127. If we go to 128, which a lot of people apparently did, they didn't recognize there were two chapters. There are literally two pieces of pertinent information. One, there was a kid that Rebecca saved who's a part of the Imperial Army. And two, Poseidon Nero is still doing nothing. Uh, So now let's talk about chapter 138, prelude to the Owl War. So, uh, we get more fucking action scenes, just more combat, more combat, more combat. The only thing I want to note is Goodwin, at one point, there's like a jumbo jet flying in to attack them, and Goodwin jumps up on it, and I do not understand how. He then judo tosses it from the air. He has nothing to stand on. <laughs> he has no leverage, and he just judo tosses it. <laughs> Um, and then he has like a cute little moment with Rebecca where he's like, oh, I didn't know you could fight Rebecca Wacka. Um, they're all, they get a message. They're like, uh oh, attacks are coming from the West as well. And they're like, oh man, we're not going to be able to get over there. And then Hermit calls in and she's like, yep, we took care of them. So we see basically all those characters show up and it's like, hey, everything went well. And the radio call that came in basically said like, hey, the Eden Zero's crews handled this. And that's what Goodwin's like, wait a minute. Eden Zero, you're the guys who beat one of the, you know, Oration 6 Galactica. And Laguna uses that as an opportunity to be like, yep, not a lot of people know about that. If you team up with us, you can win. You can beat Nero. The Imperial mm-hmm. Army is defeated. Uh, the captured members are basically put into a cage. Uh, so they're just like, hey, we're not going to kill you. We're going to set you free when the battle's over. But, you know, as it is right now, the Empire doesn't even care about you. They're not going to, like trade prisoners or anything for you so doesn't work Goodwin shows up has a moment where he's like how many of our people died and they're like 16 he says 16 of us killed by imperial dogs and then they just start having like a philosophy discussion because yeah members of the imperial army are like hey you're not the only ones who died he's like yeah you're right there are no good but good guys or bad guys in war which was one of those ones like uh there are some wars <laughs> There were good guys and bad guys. Although I guess you're talking on the individualistic scale, but then you can even argue, hey, you chose to fight for the fascists, so, (laughs) you know, you knew what you were getting yourself into. Um, But eventually, it comes into this discussion of, like, look, you know, there's war, war is bad, but we're not going to stop doing it. Freedom's going to be lost. Even once it's over, they're going to oppress us and tax us, censor us. I hate the Empire, but I don't hate you guys. So when this war is over... Let's get together for drinks or something. Maybe we'll watch some B-Cube concerts together. Nick, I want you to get into a mind space. You're a soldier. I don't know what military um, 
the Jiro military. There's like a fan war right. over best girl in in my hero. And you're up against. Look, I'm, I, I've been used to losing that war for a long time, <laughs> so it's fine. You've been captured by this is a bloody war, violent bloody, bloody war, war in the streets. Yes, Ooh, it's a bloody God. war. I'm trying best to think. Girl war. Who would who would it be? A, who would who would I be very passionately fighting against? Yes. Oh. Uh, Oh God! There's a lot of female characters in my hero academia that I really like, so this is a tough one. I don't know Hagakure. I've never okay. been fond of Hagakure. What about what about uh, Mirko? It's all it's all oh, the ho- fine, but it's all the horny people. <laughs> oh, just the, the horny division of the Mirko kingdom. Okay, it's just all the people that have fine flex are like choke me in your thighs, my buddy queen, and you've lost to them. It's this violent bloody war. Uh, and afterwards, what are they going to do to us? <laughs> and afterwards, I'm on this army, obviously. So I come up to you, and I'm just like, like about. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, well, you've lost this war, Nick. But hey, after all this is over, why don't we get together and watch some Hitsune Miku concerts? Some folklore When you put it in that context, the whole thing sounds ridiculous. Um... That's pretty much that entire scene. There's a there's a line where Hamora goes, "He is quite a large man," and Laguna says, "Obviously, would, guys in the chat, why would the Jiro army be be fighting with the Moma army? Half the people in both those armies would just be saying that they want to see them kiss. Like that, we'd never be able to wage a war on each other." Like, <laughs> uh, and Hamora comes back with the expert line, "No, I meant his heart." Um, which is, uh, I already submitted it to the, uh, Oscars. I know it's not a movie we're watching, but I still feel like it deserves the highest level of writing possible. We cut over Look, to, <laughs> I don't care how silly this is. Goodwin is awesome. Goodwin's awesome. I, the line's <laughs> very goofy. <laughs> he is a great character. Uh, I should note that the little kid that was driving the truck seems like he's been slightly moved by this level of empathy. So there is that, um, we cut over to Nero 66. Yeah, sound effect go, go over his head that said stun. <laughs> so, he's, so he's stunned by this. Uh, so we cut over to Nero 66, which just seems to be a giant vacation planet, or at least that's all Shira, uh, sh- not Shura's doing. Uh, that's all Shura's doing. He literally has two girls who are just like, oh, if you're bored, then you can play with me. And the one girl's like, no fair. It's my turn tonight. So he gets a lot of sex, Nick. Do they know what he does to some of his girls? Probably right? not. Or maybe they're just excited by that. Like, I don't like extreme fucking, you know, exhibitionism or whatever. Um, everyone just shits on Fabiano for being old and lame. <laughs> Specifically, <yes. laughs> Like four characters in a row were just like, Fabiano sucks. What a lame, dumb loser. <laughs> And sure, he didn't understand. He didn't understand TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> As they're all doing, they're all doing their TikTok dances and stuff like that. And he's just like, "What's what's going on? We're being attacked by everybody. <laughs> you're, you're, we're murdering robots just indiscriminately, and no one. All you're doing is dancing." <laughs> None of you have accepted my friend request on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, oh man, you can even start to make make of me. He's like, well, no one sent me a snap in weeks to like, everyone's done with Snapchat, old man. He's like, I, this was the new thing. I got up to this for you. 
Um, <laughs> so they're basically like, sure, are you sure Ziggy's going to be here? He's like, yeah, absolutely. This is where the all link is. So he's definitely going to come. Boom. There's an unreported planet. What's going to ha- or an un- uninvited guest identified? Oh, no. It's actually Eraser from the Eration 6 Interstellar. And he's coming with a whole fleet. He says, all right, spoiled little prince. It's time for you to say goodbye to this cosmos. So it looks like there's a war coming. They predi- they said this was the prelude to a war. That's true. Yes. Um, I don't really care about <laughs> what's going on here with this, you know, other character that just looks like, you know, a minor fairy tale character that I didn't care about. Like, I'm not sure which one they look like, but I know that there was a fairy tale character who looked almost exactly like this, minus the eye marks. So probably. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know exactly who it is, but maybe Sting kind of looks a little bit like Sting. I don't know. Regardless, maybe Sting. this character we've met before, but I don't feel like we've gotten very much of an idea of his personality. But, you know, they did um, sort of. Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Talked about it before it happened. Foreshadowed. They foreshadowed that we were going to get several different members of the Interon Eration 6 interstellar in this conflict so here's one he does look quite a bit like rogue rogue that's the one i'm probably thinking of then yeah. with the black hair yeah. going all the way down so they they both had okay, such whatever. edgy names so I, I mixed them up a lot sting and rogue <laughs> but that's it uh, i'll say the second chapter is better than the first the first one is almost unnecessary if you could have found a way to yes. just combine the two of them together it would have helped because this was one of those times where it was like, yes, we're gracing you with two chapters. It's like a ah, chapter and one eighth, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's very generous to say yeah. two chapters. Um, the one, the only noteworthy thing I got from the first one, honestly, was just the one picture of Zhao Mei at the end of her recap where she like does a pose with the heart. And I'm like, that's a nice little, that's a nice, cute little visual. And that's literally it. It's like, you could, it, it did not contribute to the, to the story at all, but yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the elusive samurai chapter 11, son of wealth, 1333. So we, uh, Pick things up at the shrine. The battle with uh, Sadamura, Sadamune. This uh, this guy's name continues to confuse me because it's a, it's an odd one. But so Sadamune, uh, Tokiyuki defeated him in the archery con- contest. But Tokiyuki still needs to keep up the appearance of being Chojumaru, the shrine apprentice. So he's complaining about having to to do heavy labor when he's just carrying a stack of papers around. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, uh, it's Ayako, I think is, is the large girl is right behind him. And she's got like twice as many <laughs> and she's just holding them in one hand. each. Like, oh, heavy labor. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You're small and weak, whatever. So they're like, you got to keep appearances, kid. So, um, Kodro theorizes that since Sadamuno was so humiliated that, uh, he won't be back soon. Uh, he's back already. He's, he's just there and he's, he's smiling creepily at them because he's received a Rinji from the Mikado, which essentially is a command directly from the emperor that must be obeyed. Uh, and so we get a brief explanation of kind of the politics of the situation in very simple terms, uh, which are that Sua's gotten a, had to give a, bu- a bunch of territory to him. And uh, so 
uh, he's going to start moving his forces into their land and they're going to have to start doing what he says in those lands. Uh, and uh, Sunamuni is really uh, smug about this and he's, you know, shouldering past Yorishige and he says, you've got to withdraw your retainers within 10 days and, you know, go be a good lord and get to it. Uh, he spots Tokiyuki uh, and is, you know, really pissed off when he just spots the kid that he humiliated him before he leaves. Um, so a bunch of people meet with Yorishige to discuss what they're going to do about all this and people are saying, we've cultivated this land for generations we live here this place belongs to us we have to fight back against him and uh, so several military commanders including one who chose to look that way uh that's all i can say about him he he made this decision to have no hair down the middle of his head and a headband with uh, an Ofuda papers thing trailing down from his forehead all the way to his mouth. He chose that. I don't know if there is religious significance behind this or if he's just fucking weird, but it's not a good look. I think it's actually very brave because as you can clearly see, he has very visible veins that run across yes. the top of his head during that. So he has to be aware of that. And this is him saying, look, I don't care about your standards of beauty. I don't care about whatever preconceptions you put down. This is who I want to be, and he's going forward with it. Or this is a man who has never seen reflections. <laughs> they do not exist. He has no idea what he's looked like, what he looks like. And he's you know what? He's happier for it. He doesn't have those those preconceptions. He walks by the beauty. I was like, what do I need this for? I'll never be aware of my own physical looks. Yeah, uh, you know, just takes a sword and chops his his hair off. Every week, uh, it's different every time. Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> oh, he's a vampire, and he has no reflection. That's how he doesn't know what he looks like. <laughs> this might be the secret to this character. So Yorishige just tells everyone to just go home. He'll reflect on what to do. But then he calls over Tokiyuki, and uh, once everyone's left, he says, well, "Hey, I know that you and your and your fellow retainers have been." have named yourselves the Elusive Warriors. It is a fine name worthy of you, and not something kind of lame that a bunch of kids would think of. (laughs) But uh, he says, I'd like to recommend a new member for your group, a thief named Kazama Genda. Uh, And he is going to be wary of me since he operates in my territory. So I think you can win him over, though, Uh, because his skills would be of great use to you. So if you enlist him, then you can steal the Imperial Decree from Sadamune because acquiring Arinji is a very lengthy process. And if we destroy it, that's going to buy us some time to figure out what we can do about this. And Tokiyuki, little nerd that he is, it's like, oh, that's unethical, though, <laughs> to steal so that everyone doesn't get brushed away. From... And so <laughs> Yorishige is like, OK, you guys are all good kids. <laughs> I love it. I love him. Like, look. You're all fucking goody goodies. Sometimes you got to be a fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) He says doing what is right will not always achieve what is good, which is the most sage thing this guy has said thus far. That's a very important lesson to take from this. And he explains to Tokiyuki to fully arm yourself as general. You must also use those who are unscrupulous. And we get the visual of the wings coming off of Tokiyuki in this shot, but also a number of snakes coming off the other shoulder. It's a really cool uh, symbolism that we get there. So 
Tokiyuki is left to think about whether this is a good thing to do as he leaves off. One of uh, Yorishige's uh, attendants comes and is like, I mean, is he really going to be able to do this? But Yorishige just says, Tokiyuki is the son of rulers. I believe in his medal. So sometime after, uh, the elusive warriors all show up at Kikyogahara, uh, which is about an hour away from there. And they're looking around the location. They're like, okay, well, we'll start asking around and see if we can find this guy. So Shizuku just goes over to someone and is like, we're looking for someone named Kazama again. People, it's the most cartoonish thing. Just (laughs) everyone flying around the town, taking cover, shuttering windows and stuff. It's it's like something out of a Looney Tunes uh, (laughs) short. So they uh, refuse to discuss the matter with them. Uh, and they're kind of left to think like, oh, so and, uh, people are afraid of this guy. And right as T- Tokiyuki says this, someone in a very creepy QB uh, mask shows up and says, no one can oppose me. Make me your enemy and you'll pay. Uh, so this is Kazama Genba, who introduces himself. He's uh, perched up in a tree. And Tokiyuki amusingly, like, has run away in terror up the same tree. <laughs> uh, so he introduces himself. Tokiyuki introduces himself as Chojumaru. And immediately, Kazama is like, no, you're not. You're the Hojo case. <laughs> Gets it right away. And he says, I could sell you to Ogasawara for a fortune. But Tokiyuki is unfazed by this. So Kazama instead basically demonstrate his skills because he's stolen the purses from all of his, all of Tokiyuki's attendants. He's just got them in his hand. And I kind of want to guess like which of these belongs to each of them. I assume that the bag that says bigger is better belongs to Ayako because that seems like something that she would say. Yeah. But I don't know which of the other two would have the plain one and which would have the decorative frog purse. (laughs) In my mind, I want to assume it would be Kojiro with the like the the plain one, but I really think it would be a fun detail if his was the little frog one with the little bell on it. And everyone's just like, <laughs> he's like, frogs are fucking awesome. I like frogs. Shut up. <laughs> they're like, yes, they are awesome. I wish I had a frog shaped wallet. To be honest, it it doesn't fit in pockets very well, but you store everything in your shirt, so that's perfectly frog sized. <laughs> so. Kazama looks at them and he's and he thinks this guy probably trusts in Sua Yorishige's orders because they because they say Sua can see the future. Spoiled brats are gullible like that, but I can destroy that in no time. And so he immediately demands 100 kanmon for not telling Sadamune and 100 kanmon per job, which essentially amounts to 5 million yen is 100 kanmon, which Today is uh, $50,000 approximately Wow! job. So, so immediately they're all, the, the attendants are like, what? And Tokiyuki's like, you want money? And Kazama says, not a mon less. If you want my skills, only money will buy me. And then we get a flashback to explain why Kazama values money so much, which is that money won't betray you. Essentially, his master uh, on his or possibly his parent, even on his deathbed, uh, said that uh, he had acquired these thieving skills to serve his lord. 
but my liege of many years grew suspicious and eventually accused me of stealing and drove me away. You have already learned my skills. Now inherit my name and creed. Money is the only thing you can believe in. Trust and loyalty are worth nothing. Sell your skills for cash. Genba. So this is also the story of how Genba got his his cool mask, yeah. uh, which I am quite a fan of because it is as expressive as a face because of cartoon logic, basically. I was going to say, I can't tell if it has hinges on the jaw or if it's just inconsistent whether the mask is closed or not. It appears to be hinged, but it moves in such a way that, like, it doesn't make sense yeah. in certain shots. But it's just very expressive, which is cool. So... Kazama has analyzed that because Tokiyuki has had to, you know, flee from his home and is on the run, he doesn't have money of his own. He has to turn to Yorishige for any sort of funding. So as your debt mounts, he will become the master, breeding ill will between you. And without money, you cannot maintain your pride, status, or trust. You will waver and suffer as you confront this harsh reality. He's not saying any of this out loud. This is just his thought process for threatening uh, and and basically extorting Tokiyuki for money. But Tokiyuki just says, money? Is that what you want? You don't want land? And Kazama's like, land? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was surprised because if you become my retainer and use your skills to help me reclaim my rule, you'll have been a valued supporter from the start. You could have asked for a whole province. <laughs> but yeah, if you just want money, sure. <laughs> He it's, like relieves it and hugs him. It's like my favorite moment of like, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like I made a mistake. Because <laughs> is just completely baffled by this. And all of his retainers are like, uh, yeah, this kid's grown up in luxury his whole life. He doesn't really value money as much as the rest of us do. So he has no idea that it is supposed to be extortion. <laughs> I just love it because it's such a great way to undercut this character in like the fun way like we, we introduced kazama genba like oh this intimidating character they have a scary fox mask they are the sinister side of this group if they're gonna join you know where this is this is the snakes to the others angels you know that that's the whole thing here this insidious character they're extorting our lead they're gonna force them because the only thing they care about all they care about is money money won't betray them and then at the end of it just like Oh, you could have had land, but you only want money. Thanks. <laughs> it's just this game like, um, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm immediately a big fan of this character. Mm -hmm. Not just because they look cool. Not just because they have a very simple but easy to get into backstory. But because the dynamic between them and Tokyuki is immediately entertaining. And yes. I really look forward to seeing where it goes from here. Um, this, I think, is one of the early moments that makes me go like, I really just like this series and want to see all the stuff that all these characters get up to together in the future. So, yeah, this was just like well done execution of a kind like because it's immediately a character i'm like oh i could see the love the layers here like obviously at some point we'll get some kind of narrative about how they feel like money's the only thing you could trust but hey i bet they're gonna learn to trust their friends Aww. <laughs> Like, it's just, yeah, it's a great chapter. Great character introduction. Yeah. So. And I always keep it short. Because you got to spend a little extra time talking about I Tell C. I Tell C, chapter 10. Gun. 
So I, I learned actually from the author comments uh, that uh, posted that uh, Kazusa Inaoka has been deliberately uh, titling all of the chapters of ITLC thus far with um, homonyms for the numbers that uh, they're tied with. This is in Japanese. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why the titles are so simple, basically. It's an interesting thing. They should spend that anyway. time making the series not bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> be like, what's a pun with nine? <laughs> so, Akiraka <laughs> is observing with the new captain of the police force uh, what's going on inside the bank during this holdup. And so, the captain doesn't believe that Mizayo is going to actually perform an arrest. Uh, and you know, she's. He says she's obviously up to something. And Akiraka says she isn't. Aoi will be reborn as a proper detective. The stage has been set. Keep those words in mind. A proper detective. So we then get a flashback. Cause honestly, like it, it sets up how things came to be this way. But honestly, it's like not really that complicated. <laughs> it's just there was a guy. He took a bunch of people hostage. He says he wants his demands met or he's going to kill them. And uh, the captain was like, I'm going or the chief rather is like, I'm going to, you know, run things now that that trident haired dude is out of the picture. And uh, then the robber. Uh, has a new stream going with new demands, and he says, you got ten more minutes, or I'm going to kill this hostage. And Ms. Aoi is there, and she's posed on the ground with her head in her hands posing, and she's winking at the camera, because she's not a trouble at all to be there in a hostage situation. Uh, and that was all that they got to see of the stream. So now the new chief demands of Akiraka... What the hell's going on? When did IO even slip in? And Akiraka is very coy about the situation. We cut over to I, the can, bank. Can, I, can, can we also just note that Akiraka is really like, I thought it was maybe just a one chapter joke to be like, how does this guy know? He's absolutely it's just a, a mom. And he's just like, oh, you you see, better see the action. Oh, you you need some piping hot milk for your, your tea. Like, I just love the idea. This character could just go to, like, the dumbest. Already, it's at a pretty dumb level that it's like, so wait, you have this very elaborate plan currently going on where you're a danger to a bunch of citizens. It's like, yeah, well, you did, <laughs> you did approve us to be a shadow division that operates with complete impunity. So in the meantime, let me give you some more milk to rest your belly. <laughs> Cut to inside the bank. <laughs> the hostage taker turns to Io and is like, hey, get back to where you were. And Io is like, well, since I'm down here, you can join me on the floor and we can chat till we fall asleep like it's a sleepover. Anyway, so... Then she says, uh, okay, so the, so the guy is like, don't you understand the situation, you know, that you're a hostage? And she says, I do. And out of the many hostages, you picked me. Romantic twist of fate, isn't it? And the guy's like, 
What are you talking about? And she says, I want to assist you. I am in love with you after all. Let's elope and go on the lamb. And we cut outside to someone who's like, what's I always saying to the robber? Because that's a good use of time and panel space. Uh, the robber demands to know if Mizawa is going crazy because she's in a hostage situation. But then he says, love's a bunch of bull. My parents cut me off. My wife left me. My band broke up. Money's the only key to happiness for me now. Wow, this guy is just like the guy from the last chapter. I'm sure that I'm going to gravitate towards this character just as much as the previous series. So, Mizawa starts to approach him. And uh, the the new chief is panicking because... This, the, the guy is panicking because he's pointing a gun at Ioi now. And there are hostages behind her. So one of the hostages, who is this guy in a sweater vest and has glasses, is like, hey, hey, you get back. It's dangerous. I'll be his hostage instead. And Zioe turns and shoots him with a gun right in the shoulder. And she just says, people with loud voices scare me. And he falls to the ground. So immediately the chief's like, what? Ah, I knew that she would never assist us. And he's like, you ah, treaded haired asshole. How dare you ruin my glorious debut? You know, as opposed to how dare you endanger all the people in this situation because he's not supposed to be a likable character and stuff. So um, the robber is immediately like, you, you had a gun. You killed a guy. And Mizai always says, yes. This is the least I can do. I do love you after all. Now will you trust me? And so the guy says, Yeah, I trust you. Can you get can you get rid of the gun? Okay! And she throws the gun away. And then she says, We should pressure the cops by making this guy our example. Yeah, don't hurt me. Okay. So uh she asks Mr. Terujiko to help him move, her move the body. And he's like, oh, I've never touched a corpse before. Wait a minute. How do you know my name? And then she go, says, oops, I said your name by accident, which means plan A is a bust. And immediately the chief's like, what's plan A? And the criminal says, or Teruhiko says, who are you? I don't know. Who, I don't recognize you. How do you know my name? Wait, were you one of the hostages here before? And she says, well, slipping into a crowd is my forte. I'm a ninja, you know. Okay. But then she says, you told me who you were yourself. He says, no, I didn't. But you did when we locked eyes. And she says, yesterday, when the first stream went up, she went into a movie theater. (laughs) I don't know. If she went to a movie theater and had it hooked up to display the news broadcast, or something I find infinitely better, the police precinct has a movie theater inside where you can buy popcorn and watch these things. And so she watched the stream in this movie theater, and she says, you were looking right at me. Your intense stare set my heart racing. The eyes are the window to the soul. They're always honest. I sat there and saw what you wanted to tell me. 
And she looked deep into his eyes and saw of the minuscule reflection of his iris, which magically grew three times in size when it was time to see the thing actually reflected in them. There was a sticker on your tablet. <laughs> and when I looked up the image that I saw on that sticker, it was for a punk band that broke up the other day. The vocalist had the exact same charming mouth as you. I And so... <laughs> I love that, that she does the CSI thing where she's looking at it and she's like, enhanced. <laughs> and her eyes zero in more. <laughs> and this guy was so fucking dumb. He went to a burglary with a laptop that had his band sticker on it. And oh, just dude. that. That's it. Also, his band's name is Key True, which is a stupid name for a band. That band should have broken up. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be Key False. <laughs> so she says she snuck in and blended in with the hostages after picking the lock. And then the chief outside is hearing this and he's like, why didn't you pass this information to us? And Akiraga is like, Oh dear, I've been getting awful forgetful lately. Did I remember to turn off my kotatsu table eater? Oh no. So, so, so Teruhiko demands to know if Aoi is a cop. And she's like, Oh yeah, sorry for deceiving you. And so Teruhiko says, so all that talk about your love was just throw me off. And she's like, no, I do love you. And I want to accept you into my life. But I need to do some changing of my own. You won't regret it. I swear I can make you happy. So would you mind if I arrested you? She's, we get a full page spread of her going, would you mind if I arrested you? Because she's supposed to be cute, but creepy and funny. Mm. Teruhiko takes this well, as in he points his own gun at, at Aoi and demands that she stop playing games. And so people are worried that, you know, now Ms. Aoi is going to get shot. And so we get a flashback dialogue of, but Risa, what if plan A doesn't work out? And her saying, then I'll leave it to you, Mr. Akiraka. First, I'll draw his attention. And so from outside, we see... Teruhiko's mother, wife, and bandmates have all arrived to speak to him over megaphones. And Akiraka says, as Teruhiko is reacting to this, there isn't a person around I can't find. I'm not in the housewife gossip circle for nothing, you know. It is like this series took the most roundabout way to doing everything. It's not that Ayaoi is just a super sharp detective who figures things out. She only figures them out because she desperately falls in love with these people. It could have just been that she's a sharp enough, you know, Sherlock Holmes level detective that she saw the reflection of the sticker on the like, no, it has, it has to have the love angle. It can't just be that Akiaki is just a super smart and well-versed. It's like, no, he's in a gossip housewives club, and that's how he knows all these people. Everything has, like, a level of dumb gimmick over top of it. Except for Seikon, who has nothing Who's because just he's... Lame. So, <laughs> so, this is their plan. To get Teruhiko off guard, and the moment he's off guard, <laughs> and then one, 
hits Black Mass. <laughs> I forgot. He fucking kicks him. He's spinning leg lariat this dude and takes him down. And it turns out that the guy that I always shot before was really a Sakon wearing yellow face, I think, in disguise. And there was a blood pack in his shoulder that actually exploded. She didn't actually shoot him. And so Sakan takes this guy down and the chief just goes, what happened to her? I always just made an arrest. This chapter is fucking dumb. (laughs) I love that all this work goes into like connecting with this criminal and like being like, look, I understand who you are. We researched all these things that happened to you. You are an important person. We brought your entire family here. You know, the people who are close to your mother, your wife, who you're having issues with, your bandmates who broke up with you. You may have differences with those people, but they are here to care about you because this is important and they want you to survive. And then the big solution at the end is they fucking kick him in the face and knock him out anyway. So we don't actually know what plan A was. Presumably it was to... Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Where, where, where is they? Where does she say Plan A is a bust? It's when she Plan accidentally a is reveals when she her says name. her name, uh, says his name, and so he gets suspicious and is like, "How do you know about this and stuff?" So presumably, because so all this was Plan A, her sneaking in, hiding amongst the hostages, then getting his attention, saying she's in love with him, earning his trust. By shooting Sakan in disguise in the shoulder and then getting him to start moving the body to the end of I don't know. Nick, yes, I have a question. You in the back. You have a question? <laughs> so did Sakan also sneak in to pretend to be a hostage? Maybe he just wears this disguise <laughs> on his days off. Because <laughs> at that point. If the end result was to just drop kick the guy, basically, why did he even need the disguise? <laughs> I know it was on the surface level. It was so they could go like, oh, she could pretend to shoot him to be like, definitely, I am loyal to you. Um, but I don't, <laughs> I don't quite like it's one of those things that like once it falls apart at all, he should have just gotten up and drop kicked the guy. That was what they were all going to do. And the only reason to have Sakan in disguise in the first place is so that the audience doesn't recognize him. Because unless this guy happens to know what every cop in the precinct looks like, there's no reason for Sakan to be in disguise. He could just that, that's show my up thing. Plain clothes. I was like, why is he disguised? I guess like I don't know. <laughs> and then they do all this further distraction with oh, people showing up. And I guess, you know, you need to do that if plan a fails and stuff, but why did you need plan a at all? Yeah. Why didn't you just have, you know, we've snuck into this place. Sakan punch him. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say like, look, the end goal was like, you had to understand. It makes a lot of sense. If it's like, look, Aoi cares about criminals. She, she loves them in her weird way. She does love these people. She wants to care for them. We saw it with the guy with that that a hand murderer dude that no matter what their crimes are, she loves them and she wants to see the best for them. 
And when she can make that sincere connection, no matter how far down the path they've gotten, she can find that that connection to them on like a human level. And she does here. She connects to this guy. She 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 gets him to hesitate, you know, and then they bring in the break guns of having his entire family around. And it's like, why bother with any of that if the end result is like imagine like it, like that big episode of Batman the animated series with Harley Quinn at the end where he like buys her the dress. He's like, yeah, I had a bad day too, and then he just fucking karate chops her. In the back. <laughs> like, oh no, you were distracted. <laughs> What's the point of all the tender love if it's just gonna fucking kick him in the face afterwards? It's the combination of things. We, I mean, as dumb as the previous arc was. <laughs> It did at least go to the trouble of driving home the point that there was purpose and a potential for success behind Ioe's approach to trying to reach these criminals who were at their end. And she seems to be going for that. And instead, it's just to set up Sakan hitting a leg lariat on the guy. <laughs> it's so like, oh, this is good because she's making an arrest now. I was like. But it seemed like she was make, just making a breakthrough with the way she was doing things before. How much more effective would this have been if this way of doing things actually worked on the guy? And he's, you know, feels like maybe he's making a mistake. You know how you could do this and, you know, have Sakon still have a purpose for being there? Have there be two guys there. Have one guy that Mizaoi reaches by doing all this stuff, mm -hmm. by connecting with them, but the other guy isn't like that. And that demonstrates that some criminals aren't reachable because we already know that because of the guy who stole Hikaru's identity and stuff like that. We, we know that some of these guys are just scumbags that don't deserve sympathy. So have one guy who's really, you know, uh, gung ho about this, have another guy who's just kind of desperate and, and needs someone to reach out to him. You reach that one person emotionally, the other person while distracted by all this, you know, lovey-dovey bullshit is like, let's just kill her. Then Sakan gets up and decks him. And so you have both of them actually contribute to to this in a way that makes sense. This is not that difficult. Like, no. <laughs> it's just really weird because it's A, a dumb plan, and B, works against what seems like it should have been the purpose of the series. So it's just bad all around. And But... Very funny to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's it's just such a. It's a series that look. It's gone. It's it's almost done at this point. It feels like it, ha it has to be. Like if I, we haven't gotten, I don't think its first volume has come out at this point, so we don't know those numbers. But unless it's something astronomical, I think it's just done for at this point. And I'm gonna just sit back and enjoy how it kind of goes down from here because i thought i knew what this series was and then every week it kind of surprises me a little bit more mm -hmm. all right let's move on to magu-chan god of destruction chapter 38 naputaku runs away from home for the first time ever well, that's what happens he runs away <laughs> from home uh, basically, uh, it's it's some sort of rush time at uh, Ren's family's uh, uh, restaurant, and Naputaku is you know helping by cleaning the dishes and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, he sees that they're in a desperate situation because they're out of karage fried chicken, so they can't fill someone's order. They can't give them um, multiple orders; they can only give them enough for one. So Naputaku is like, "Now is my time to shine because you're short staffed." 
when you lowly humans can't handle things on your own, I shall show off my cooking skills. Now teach me how to make this fried whatever you call it. <laughs> Such a great little thing. Like, I'll save you by cooking it. Shall we how to cook it? <laughs> so, so Ren's like, look, this, I, now is not the time for that. Just stick to washing the dishes for right now. And of course, Naputku is really bummed. Because he's like, they won't let me cook, even when they're short-staffed. Why am I even here? I was like, oh. He feels unwanted and unneeded. So he packs everything into a little kerchief and runs away from home. <laughs> Aww. With the, the little first... hermit crabs. And they're doing, like, a little scuttling to keep up with him. Yeah. And he's got his little cooking pot sticking out of his knapsack. Uh, so he's just really upset because they're not letting him cook. And, uh, he says that they're ungrateful idiots. Uh, and he says, they'll regret losing their most valuable asset, me. <laughs> so he's like, I don't even have to work there to cook. I can do it anywhere. And he's like, look, and he's got his little, his little personal cooker. He's like, this is my kitchen. I don't have a lot of ingredients, but here we go. Oh no, I'm out of fuel. Okay. Well, there's probably more fuel at the restaurant. No! Not going back to the restaurant. No. So, he's still got his part-time earnings. Which he decides to spend on gambling so that he can make more money. And it doesn't work out. It's not another gambling chapter. There's just a very brief scene where he just loses all his money and that's it. Poor guy. So, the rest of the chapter from there is Naputaku gradually stumbling into other members of the cast who briefly take him in and um, things don't work out. Uh, so he decides that he can't stay with them. That's just kind of the way things go. And we just get, you know, a few interaction jokes here and there. He starts off by running into Yuika and Unisuke and uh, her siblings are very, very um, bratty. I guess that's it. Just, just there's like, hey, look at this starfish. I'm gonna pull his head. They're little, they're shitty little kids. So he runs away. Immediately runs into Kyo, and Kyo's like, oh, okay. Well, you can come stay at my place. And uh, when they get there, she's really hospitable. Things look like they're gonna work out. And then she finds, uh, he finds her sharpening a blade that Gula has grown from his hand because she wants a sample of his flesh. And so he decides, I shouldn't stay around here either, because she will chop me apart. She probably would, yes. So then he, one of his hermit crabs happens to spot Uneris's pigeon, and uh, they follow it to a little camping site that uh, Izuma and uh, Uneris have set up. Uh, and uh, Uneris is like, oh, well, if you need lodging, you can, you can quickly find it uh, here. And uh, so... They, Izuma leads them to a Holy Knighthood branch office, which is hidden beneath a tent. Uh, they go down some stairs into this underground facility, this vast dungeon, and there are traps everywhere. So that's not going to work out for Naputu either. And this is my favorite bit in the whole chapter. So then he goes to Ruru's house, and he's just sitting down, tired and and exhausted next to Mago, and he's like, so it grieves me to no end, but please allow me to rest in your home, Mago Minuaku. And Mago's immediately like, go sleep in a ditch and just drag 
I, this was the first time. Nick, it's always nice to see character development. And I'm going to talk about my character development for a little bit. When I started this series and I said, Magu-chan is the only thing that's funny in this. Who gives a shit about the Putakun? When the, the Putakun said, no, let me say her. Magu was like, I'm going to throw you out. I was like, fuck you, Magu. Fuck you. I hope you die. Fuck you, you asshole. Let the Putakun sleep, you goddamn monster. Fortunately, Ruru's heart is big enough for both of them. Mm-hmm. And so she says, no, no, no. We help people who are in need. And he's always trying hard, so let him catch a break every once in a while. And Naputaku basically just, like, falls asleep, like, there on the floor. And so they tuck him in, and he wakes up later. And uh, he's like, oh, oh, no, it's almost time for me to start work. No, I don't work there anymore. Uh, And Ruru's made him breakfast. uh, And... Magu has procured himself some himself some food, which I don't know why he's holding it up. He's just like, I'm going to eat this in front of you. He's always very excited for Nato. He's like, yes. So Naputagu uh, is enjoying his meal uh, and he's like, hmm, food like this must take considerable skill to cook. Uh, but it's missing something. Lend me your kitchen. I shall prepare a more extravagant, splendid meal. And Rue's like, yeah, no, I, I don't really like fancy stuff. It's it, 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 because she just, you know, ingredients cost money. So, yeah. So then Nabutuka's like, well, then let me show off my plate washing skills. But Rue says, no, no, you're my guest. You don't have to do anything. You know, just just rest. Uh, so she goes off with Magu to clean the dishes. And Nabutuka is left to eat his meal. And he's like, hmm, I don't have to do anything. You know, this is this is how it used to be. Back when I ruled over lowly humans with my madness, I could have wished for anything with a simple order. If I were to be free from holding a part-time job and return at last to my former lifestyle, that would be a bit boring. And he's just kind of looked to ponder this for a few seconds, but then the doorbell rings. Ding dong. <laughs> Ding dong. So Ren arrives. Uh, and he spots Naputiku, and is like, Oh, so you've come to take me away! I won't come so easily! And Ren's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you, we're gonna go home. You wanted to learn how to make fried chicken, right? My dad says he doesn't mind showing you. And so Naputiku is pleased by this, and agrees to go along, and is like, I knew you needed my power! You were hopeless without me! And Ren's just like, stop bothering Rue. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it took a little while in the middle because of Naputuku coming across characters that I don't care about. Mm-hmm. But overall, really like this chapter. Oh, yeah. I thought this chapter was was spot on. Um, well, I should say I enjoyed all the Naputaku stuff, the other jokes like were like, here's this character's like, kind of one joke, and I was like, meh, I don't really like you so much, but Naputaku, no. that's the shit. <laughs> so, I was, I was on board with all of it. This is, I think, the perfect encapsulation of, I mean, this is the chapter that's like, this is what Naputaku has become over the course of the series, and it feels entirely spot on mm-hmm. in terms of how it characterizes him. He's still arrogant and bratty, but he's also pathetic and likable. And uh, I really like how innocent it is that he's just like, I just wanted to cook and help and you don't appreciate me. And he runs away like a little kid. 
And then he you know, gets what he wants and doesn't even consider exactly what's actually happened. He just considers it from his very selfish and small perspective. And that's enough to get him to go back home. Um, but also, you know, this little bit of like, hey, you know, he probably wouldn't be a mad king anymore because he likes doing all this other stuff now. And it's like character development. That's nice. Yeah, you know? I dig it. I like it, as the kids say. I hope that only that not only kids say that, but okay. Yeah. Yes. Let's go on to Nine Dragons Ball Parade, Chapter 8, Rinojo Tsubaki, who we get a little bit of a character profile at the very beginning of this chapter, uh, reintroduced to the fact that he plays shortstop, and we get a bit of a recap of his junior high baseball career and the um, troubles that he ran into because of his personality. Uh, when he was told to switch positions by his coach in first year, he mouthed off and was cut. In his second year, he got pissed off because you're supposed to show respect to the older uh, teammates and was kicked off because he raised his stink about it. And now he is on the Ayatsuji senior division team and he's getting kicked off, off the team right now. Uh, so, or he's getting kicked out of the game rather. Um, and they're not really good without, uh, without him as a player either. We see that, uh, as, uh, Subaki and, uh, Azu and the others are watching the game, they are getting their asses handed to them. So, uh, Rinojo apologizes to everyone and he's like, yeah, I know I messed up. I called him a hack umpire. I should have called him Mr. Hack umpire, right? <laughs> I like that the, he seems actually earnest with that. He does think that's the issue. Yes. He just doesn't get it. He was just very concerned. He's like, I wasn't formal enough in calling him a little bitch. <laughs> so the coach, who is also an asshole, is like, oh, with that personality, it's it's no wonder there are no scouts coming to check you out. And, and this... Really upsets Rinojo, who grabs his coach by the collar. Is like, what'd you say? Uh, and he says, scouts come every day. You just don't see them. They line up in front of my house, and they're watching me right now via satellite. Sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone uh, who of the kids who's watching is like, he's really good. Uh it's honestly bizarre that no one has recruited him, even considering his attitude problems. He's just that good. Uh, and they also explain how important it is that they have a good shortstop. Sarugi again breaks down like, yeah, you know, he's, he, you know, a, a really good shortstop makes the batters tense up. And uh, it's, you know, he's the most important defensive position on the field. But... I find that kind of personality, that kind of loudmouth, really challenging. And when I imagine Manning third base with him right next to me, my head hurts just thinking about it. So at that moment, Rinocho has spotted them and is like, oh, you guys are scouts, right? And they're like, eh, yeah, I guess, kind of. And immediately he turns and is like, hey, guys, look, scouts are here. Scouts are here who are looking at me. Look, me. I'm, a, I'm appreciated. I'm great. Look, see, these guys are super smart. They, they know how great I am. Uh, they're finally here. And so they say, so that means you weren't being scouted before. And he's like, I can't hear you. This guy's got a great personality. So, yeah. Karrion gives a big uh, introduction to the team. 
and through careful omission of really bad details about them makes them sound really impressive without actually lying. Then she introduces the their three players and then she turns to Tsubaki and says, you know what this means, right? We're only recruiting the very best players. Would you join us? And Tsubaki agrees to join the team. Done. <laughs> <laughs> <Don, laughs> <All both>. right, <laughs> Wait a minute. The chapter's only halfway done. What's going on here? So they think that everything's cool now. He's like, well, he didn't take much convincing. Awesome. Uh, but as they're walking home, Tsubaki runs to catch up with them. And he says, oh, guys, guys, guys. I didn't really get to show you what I can actually do because, you know, I got ejected today, but we've got an important game coming up. So you guys should really come and then I can show you what I can do for the team. And they're like, yeah, all right. And even Sarugi says he seems to have the right attitude. Maybe we'll get along just fine. So they come to the, the to the very important game the next week and somehow Azu and Sarugi and Ryudo are all wearing uh, Subaki's team uniforms, and they're just like, "Why are we wearing their uniforms?" It's, like, you put them on. <laughs> you, you didn't ask about that part. So, so Subaki's teammates run up and are like, "Oh, you guys must be the helpers. Thanks for volunteering to help us out." Yeah, we have a practice game against Minato's team, and we always get creamed. We're so glad you're here to help us, and. They realize that they're playing against Tsubaki's old team, one of the teams that he got cut from previously. So Tsurugi immediately demands an explanation. And uh, but before he gives it, he shouts over to the cut coach who cut him saying, you took away my position of shortstop and then cut me. Well, now it's time for payback. And my pals over here refuse to let me be treated like this. And we're going to get and he just gets dragged. It's, off it's by Brock for Pokemon. Here. It's literally the Brock for Pokemon, except it's uh, <laughs> not weird. <laughs> like It's not always like I saw a girl, <laughs> a female in my general vicinity. <laughs> I sense the presence of two X chromosomes paired together. <laughs> so. Tsubaki gets dragged up by Sarugi, who starts yelling at him, saying that they're disrespecting. He's disrespecting them. And he says, I want no part of this. I'm going home. But Tsubaki um, acts sorry for himself and uh, gets them to stay. <laughs> That's basically what happens. Um, he does apologize, though, saying that he was really happy that, you know, there were these amazing athletes who wanted him on their team. But he says, I should have told you what I wanted to do, and I'm sorry. Uh, so Ryudo decides to make the best of the situation. He's just immediately his optimistic self and says, we were excited about your talent as a shortstop. So let's show that coach that you are a great shortstop. This is a chance for us to show you as well that Kokoryuzan that you've chosen to join is a strong team. So that's what's going down. Uh, and immediately, uh, Tsurugi and Ryudo look really impressive. And uh, that's the chapter. It, I don't know. It's kind of a weak ending for me, honestly. Well, I, I, I'm actually super excited about this because there was something I've been thinking about recently where I was like, so the premise of this is that they need to form the team and you need to get nine players. Mm. And they've gotten two and then they've recruited one more we're not going to get a real game of baseball until like volume three at the earliest at the pace this is going and i was like 
I wonder if that might be what just fucks the series up because it's a sports series where they don't play the sport at all. So the idea of getting this where it's a kind of gimmick match to essentially start us up with something, I was like, this is a really good idea. Because like, you know, like I was thinking about Q, and I was like, Q had a couple of two on two and three on three games early on and stuff like that before they had to get a real game. And early Ice Shield, even before they picked up players, still had games against like the Cupids and stuff like that. So I was like, I think it's good that they can get some kind of match out here now, especially since it kind of almost feels like these are the best players they're going to get. I feel like from here, it's probably going to be a steeper decline of either like they're either going to be super niche or I don't know. It feels like it'd be weird if they got a, like a team of all super amazing a rank players or whatever. Like, you know, this is a chance to show off these characters. True. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely don't like, uh, Tsubaki nearly as much as the other characters we've met so far, but I think that he does add a, a dynamic to the team that we kind of need. We need, you know, someone who's not just nice, and, and make smart decisions. So there's that. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'll like him more as we get uh, in, more into the way he interacts with the rest of the team and pounces off of them. Uh, and yeah, in the meantime, we are, I think, going to get at least some form of like an actual game going on here. Because uh, we did see Tsubaki, not Tsubaki, Surugi and Ryudo, you know, showing off on two occasions. But there's nine innings in a baseball game, and they only mm. make up half the players, so. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, head out of there and into Dr. Stone. Time to get Stone, Nick. Z equals 191 divine scream down to Earth. So, last chapter ended with um, the order for all of the Science Kingdom in America to just go on an all-out assault uh, against uh, Stanley and Zeno's forces that were stationed there. And uh, so our scientist guy is like, they're just going to die. What what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Uh, And so Magma starts shouting uh, 1,000 meters one second. Uh, But they're like, it's not going to activate unless you get really close to it. And South America is super far away from here. So... What you know, that doing that right now is not going to do any good. So, scientist guy is immediately like, "What the hell?" So that means Senku was issuing orders via that message in Japanese that they just received. Wait a minute. Oh no! If you guys are up in North America and we're down here in South America, and so the order from Senku was, "You've got to make it so the Sedu- so the Medusa swallows us all up." The only chance to seize victory is to recreate the calamity from 3,700 years ago and turn the world to stone again. This time, we're using science to let her rip ourselves. To save all of humanity, we got to destroy ourselves. And so that's what they're trying to do. And things go only a little bit better than they were going in South America. We see Yo get gunned down. Uh, we see Moe's use Hyoga's uh, spiral spear technique to knock, uh, I believe, what are supposed to be keys, but look like dog tags almost, from Science Guy's uh, neck. Homura 
flips up into the air and snags them and then gets her arm torn to shreds by a shotgun blast. It's very gross. Magma manages to grab the keys after they go bouncing through the air. We see that. Uh, oh, gosh, I forget. I forget the girl from the Petrification Kingdom's name. She's got, gone down and is bleeding. Magma grabs the keys. He opens up the safe where the petrification device is being held, and then he gets gunned down. Uh, and they seemingly have all been wiped out. All of the people who are fighting uh, for the science kingdom are down. And so the soldiers are like, okay, I think that's it. I think that's all of them. And then, oh gosh, what's his name? Jo- Joel. Joel. Joel emerges from what I can only assume to be a stack of bodies mm-hmm. and lunges for this fault. And as he lunges one hand forward, he snaps his other hand again and hits a button on his wristwatch, grabs the petrification device in the same hand as has the watch on it. The vault gets closed on his arm. Oh, man, that's so brutal. Crushing it. I, it's weird in a chapter where people got gunned down ruthlessly. That was the moment that made me cringe the most. Where I was just like, oh, my God, that would hurt so fucking much. He manages to uh, not cry and piss his pants. He just goes, gah! So credit to him. Oh, uh, yeah, and... he did dive underneath Kinro, because you could see the glasses and the shield. Yeah. Oh. So he collapses, and Science Guy says, well, that's a real shame, Joel. Why'd you go and betray us? And Joel says, call it my bourbon revenge is that because he is that because he put the petrification device in the bourbon and then he got smashed is that what happens <laughs> but he says nobody interferes with my victory toast but you decide to ruin it anyway that's all uh but science guy just says i know that the science brigade has a technician named kaseki you just didn't want him dying before you got the chance to have a technical discussion about the medusa with him because you're a nerd like Because <laughs> you're nerds. Uh, and he says, the day you arrived, you whipped up a wristwatch in no time at all. As a fellow technician, I get it. But and then he looks at the watch. Well, he doesn't look at the watch because the watch is inside the vault. You can't see it. But then he hears a and he's like, his watch just made a sound. Wait, how the hell would they have gotten Senku's message in the first place? a radio receiver in watch form. And he immediately is like, get that radio. Cause someone can shout and activate the device that way. And the random goody shouting at just says, but they're all dead or dying anyway. And Joel says, the order won't come from us, but rather from God up in heaven. Don't tell me you didn't know. Haven't you been attending science class all this time? Those radio waves have been screaming from the heavens down to earth and we pan back to look at the moon and we get reminded that all the transmissions shouting for the medusa device to go off were constantly being repeated by the y-man coming from the moon and too late to do anything a radio transmission comes in and is received by Joel's watch that says 12,800,000 meters one second. And so Y-Man has given the order once again 
but this time a working petrification device has received it. And everyone realizes what's going to happen. The world will be destroyed, but it will be saved all over again by the future science of Dr. Stone. As the petrification device goes off and a wave starts emanating out of the, of the castle. So this was awesome. <laughs> this, I mean, this payoff is fucking phenomenal. I, 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 I mentioned several times now, I was like, you know, Dr. Stone has been kind of like, I, I didn't know how to process everything. And then we got the Koseki chapter previously. And I was like, all right, I'm starting to get into this. I still was just like, I don't understand what they're going to do because they don't have a working diamond in South America, which is where this conflict is. How do they solve everything? This fucking payoff of the message that has been repeating endlessly that was brought up like two and a half years ago now at this point, something like that. Been a while. Yes. That payoff is fucking phenomenal. And immediately I'm already starting to like, kind of see what like some of the implications is like, cause it's brutal seeing everyone get cut down, but you're just like, okay, cool. Like they're going to be safe. But now you start thinking like, what is that? Like, it's going to reach a large part of the world. Also, it's going to freeze definitely Japan again. So, well, I mean, if so it if it goes I, off in a radius, it has to. So the radius is enough for it to reach because I because I looked it up. OK, um, the diameter of the Earth is this basically, which means that this is enough for it to go through the Earth and reach the other side. But they have said that because of the Earth, that matter can interfere with that. So maybe it won't reach all the way through to the other side. Well, but this is this one is in what, like San Francisco, right? Isn't that where they landed? So that's definitely like if it grows out in a radius, I feel like it's not going to hit all of South America. Like it can run out of juice at some point. But if it it goes. But if it okay. goes, but if it goes out in a big like radial thing, it would have to hit Japan because they're way. I mean, I'm not great at geography, but aren't like me, like measurement wise, aren't they a lot closer to Japan than they are to South America? To, actually, hang on. Oh, we're gonna get Doctor Nick. Da 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 da, Doctor Nick here to give us knowledge and here to give us stuff. Okay. He's smarter here. He's the smart one, and we'll see. He owns a globe. What a nerd. I've had this for like 20 (laughs) years. So this is San Francisco about here. And they're in South America over here. So, yeah, okay. And then Japan is Oh, never mind. Yeah, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. (laughs) So Japan is further away. Not Not by a whole lot. I, I'm used to staring at a blank map, and I was like, it's like Pac-Man, right? You go off one side, and you immediately <laughs> show <laughs> Yeah, that's a line from one to the other, so it's like right next door. <laughs> oh, man. I do believe South America is closer. Okay. Now, there's another thing that did, did occur to me, which is I they, I believe, theorized, but weren't sure that... Uh, the global petrification uh, that in, emanated from South America took up a bunch of petrification devices. And this is only utilizing one. 
So the question becomes, is there enough juice in just one of these devices to go to circumvent the globe? And if not, how far will it get? Uh, and if it does, what kind of plan does Senku have to deal with it when and if the wave reaches them? So, well, considering that we have several important characters like Ryusuke who have been gunned down in the base itself, it seems very likely that they're going to get like those characters will be it'll reach the base. But it's also interesting that they specifically sent out, um, what's her name, Luna and Doctor Chelsea mm -hmm. before. I think it's not going to get them, and it becomes Do it becomes Luna, the capable girl who has to save everybody from being pet, like to reawaken people. Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> if it depends on the explanation they give, but if they say that. Senku realized that this that this thing, which the order is meant to again go around the entire Earth, will only have enough power to reach like a quarter of the way around the Earth, and will stop a matter of hundreds of meters. When, you know, that's a lot of stuff that I don't think he has the data for to assume. But we'll see what happens. This was, like you said, it was a brilliant callback to information that had been seeded a long time ago in a way that's really cool. It was really dramatic getting here, and uh, it was a way to, you know, get us to reset all the dramatic, grisly deaths that we got before this point in a way that it's like, oh, okay, I understand why you did all this stuff now. Mm. Um, but we'll see where, where this goes. I am really excited to see exactly how this turn plays out. And fortunately, Dr. Stone is not off next week. This seems like the perfect point to go. It's like, we'll be out taking a break. And it's like, no, we're going to find out more next week. So I'm very excited for that. I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped for this moment now. Um, Killer chapter. Ooh, Love. tonight is hitting real bad. All right. We're going to talk about Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 57, Mash Burn Dead, and you look, you lose your life. Uh, so last time they agreed to a game of You Look, You Lose with, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Gehenna. That's it. Uh, so Gehenna's like, all right, we're going to be playing a variation of You Look, You Lose. There's no rock, paper, scissors. Also, when I point in the direction, I'll count down for free. Avoid looking in that direction for the entire count to win without stepping outside the circle. And Finn's like, this seems really heavily favored in Mash's favor. What's the catch? And Mash immediately is just like, got it. So like, all right, we're going to do it three times. You avoid me three times. You win. You look. But, uh, we get we get music playing each time that it happens. So you look, you lose. But the way they're doing you look, you lose. Uh, Gehenna is shooting off attacks. So Mash is basically like dodging things while avoiding it. And, you know, he dodges the first one. Then it's two directions at the same time. And it's like, don't look that way. It's two attacks from the blind spots, but Mash manages to like punch them away without looking. He's like, oh, wow. How very quaint. But this sword is enchanted with black flames. And it's so, it's such an awesome panel when he pulls it off because there's this great texture to the flames that really does make you just think there's something terrifying about them. I know a bunch of people are going to say Sasuke because it's Amaratsu. Flames, yeah. But I feel like there's so many. We literally just covered or talked about uh, the Four Nights of the Apocalypse. And there's also a guy in there who has like, they're not black, but flames that'll never 
you just go out until they burn you. So it feels pretty common. Uh, so yeah, it's like, hey, you won't be able to repeat the last trick because if you deflect it, you're going to get burned to death. And Matt's just like, that's freaky. So it's like, nope, it's starting. Last round, you look, you lose. And he does it in three directions. So Mash can only look down. And of course, it's this big streak of attacks that Mash is dodging. It's one through three, and then like a slash above, and then gets Mash to duck. And then there's a big swinging attack coming from below. And Mash slams his feet into the ground. <laughs> and then backflip somersault it's this amazingly detailed like visual like it's phenomenal art that's mixed with the dumbest <laughs> visual of that mash backflipping with a giant chunk of rock attached to his feet and and, he's, and what happens next he succeeds they're like wow he did it without looking down and then an owl flies in and grabs a creep puff out of his jacket. And Mash is like, huh? And he's like, oops, I looked right on this. It's the dumbest fucking joke. I just love, it grabs one of his little creep puffs. Where did this owl come from? But it's just, the little owl grabs a creep puff. And again, very in tune with Mash's character. He saw his creep puff go. He's like, hey. <laughs> But of course, all of that was enough for Gehenna to be sufficiently kind of satisfied. It's like, nope, that one doesn't count. We'll we'll call it a draw. It's only fair. But at your current level, Macaron is going to be a challenge for you. So there you go. Some little foreshadowing that this is a big match. And uh, Mash also notes, you know, I'd have been in trouble if he hadn't hesitated. And also, he didn't chant a single spell. Mm-hmm. So we also get Gehenna saying, yeah, he blocked my, my sword with his forehead. He was prepared to. He's off the rails. What possible reason could he have to become the divine visionary that is worth dying over? Um, I mean, he already knows it, but I guess he's just kind of stunned at the resolve. So he mm-hmm. says, he'll be make, he'd make a useful ally. I'll be reading to you to reach my level. And now it's time. What if that's just this character's thing? Like, he's all coy and, and you know, has all these, you know, hidden agendas and stuff like that. But he's also just very forgetful and kind of dumb. <laughs> It could be a thing. He just doesn't remember the very pertinent information too. He's just like, what possible reason could Mash have for doing this? Like, you were there. He explained it. You know why he's going to be killed if he doesn't. So he's like, oh yes. Like he goes to see movies and he's just like, I don't understand. So why does Deckard have an issue with replicants at all? And it's just like, did you watch the movie? You, you saw the movie, right? <laughs> oh man so it's now time for the final round of the exam it's one-on-one fights knock your opponent out or get them to yield to win it and uh we're not wasting any time we're going straight to the marquee matchup mash versus macaron and uh macaron just says like i know you've got your heart set on proceeding but it won't happen and everyone's kind of just like shit this is big deal we get a shot of the two of them with like a bunch of these lines that kind of just show the pressure here. And it's a uh, Macron says you have one purpose in life and that's to provide, provide me with the thrill. I seek mash burn dead. And master says, that's a funny joke. I do wonder about the uh, structure of this tournament. I don't think it matters. <laughs> six people <laughs> that we're supposed to have one-on-one fights between. All right. Yeah. But I uh, mean, I think there's still, cause Carpaccio's out. Lance is still in there. 
Finn mm-hmm. dot. So I guess more tomato or whatever his stupid name is right. is gone, or that guy that got knocked out. So is it just the five of them now? Uh, there was the guy on the team. Because uh... Macaron's team survived, and Macaron's team yeah. was Macaron, Lance, and then that the third guy who tried to like convince him to like poison him like poison mash or whatever. So I think it's basically just mashes like all the the Adler dorm kids plus the macaron kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'll find out what happens. This was a very I mean I such a mash chapter, you know. Badass action and then just dude, nails the the ridiculously silly little joke, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, people are saying Macron's other teammate is still in there. It's more tomato. Okay, so I guess more tomato is also still in here. Yeah, this is a great chapter. I'm also low key kind of excited at the idea we might get a little bit of like Mash versus uh, Lance in this. Yeah, they've been kind of teasing it a little bit, so excited. We'll see what happens. Good chapter. Let's go to Ayakashi Triangle Chapter 39. Roshka loses control. Last chapter, Roshka lost control. <laughs> uh, she got upset at her at her Ungaikyo friend and went on a rampage of, 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 on top of a giant ice column that looks sort of like a humanoid deer. Matsuri uh, springs into action and is tries to use his wind jutsu to stop the golem. It has no effect. Uh, the blast doesn't penetrate the ice golem's uh, chest. Uh, he tries to then knock it over with a with a heavy blast. That doesn't work. Uh, we then cut down to the street level where Suzu is, and uh, she's having trouble kind of making her way around because everything's flipped, so she's confused on street directions. And she's like, yeah, it's my neighborhood, but I can't figure out the streets. And I'm like, you're trying to reach the, the ice golem, right? <laughs> Can't just get closer to it? It's just over there. It's over there. <laughs> She's like, but I want to take West Abington or Abington West. <laughs> Eventually. I wouldn't, she... I wouldn't be shocked if her logic and reasoning is, I wonder if in the reverse world that pastry stop is still open on the West Abington Street. <laughs> I believe what we're meant to get from this is she's trying to figure out the right direction to be in place position wise because of where in the street they would be in comparison to the golem, but whatever she quickly figures out where she wants to go, calls Matsuri over in that direction. And Matsuri's like, what are we doing? And she says, well, you know, you, how you have to hold candy apples carefully because they're top heavy. No, <laughs> I've never eaten. I've never eaten a candied apple in my life. They I've sound had- revolting. <laughs> I've had caramel apples before, but I've never had them on the steak. So. Yeah. But uh, she's realized basically that the golem is very top heavy. It has big, massive shoulders, and long arms, but kind of small feet. So they're going to attack the legs. Uh, and, but Matsuri points out, like, I mean, this thing's kind of tough. I can't use my jutsu on it. So, Ma- so Suzu says, well, if your wind isn't enough, and she gets a little piece of paper and uses some origami on it, and she says... Let's go with your grandpa's pop gun method. And they, we flash back to when they were kids and Matsuri had a little pop gun and they played around with it. And immediately Matsuri's like, a reference only I would understand. Like, if you say so, I think that pop gun is kind of, you know, if you whatever. Anyway, so 
the two of them stand back to back in formation with Suzu's origami crane perched directly in front of Matsuri's hand. And Suzu thinks to herself, I can't do amazing things like May yet, but I have Matsuri by my side. And Matsuri casts his hand out, casts a blast of wind behind the crane. And as the crane blasts forward, it flattens out into like an arrowhead and blows apart one of the golem's legs and causes it to stumble over. And Suzu gets onto the golem's arm and races up the side. She nearly slips, but uses her origami to catch her feet. Uh, she cannot be comfortable in those spats. The, that's that's that she's not comfortable anyway. No. But she uses her origami in a cool way and manages to regain her balance, dash up the side of the ice golem, and uh, ice stalagmites start to pop up in her path. But Matsuri breaks them apart and and tells her to just go on and do her job as king. And while she is racing up to Rushka, we get a Rushka flashback. Uh, apparently she was an Ayakashi who dwelled within a picture book and really enjoyed having families read her story. But she got sold. And she got sold off somehow to Japan? Like her book specifically? Okay. But it got sold off to Japan and she was, you know, in an unknown place with all these unknown creatures and she was lost until she came across Unkai. Toy Story 5 is weird. Yeah. I haven't seen how's that, Ham at all. How's that, once, how's that one Jesse song go? <laughs> I don't know. Toy Story Two sucks. Everyone who says it's the best is wrong. It's a very, it's a very sharp Toy Story One, Toy Story Two, Toy Story Three. It's a fucking letter V all the way through. I haven't seen Four, so I couldn't tell you. I don't know about Four. I don't. I don't know about that one. It doesn't seem like it would have been good, but who knows? So I've heard people anyway. say it's great, but yeah. So. Uh, basically, Ungakyo was like her only friend in this strange land that she was in, and Ungai got really upset at her, and uh, you know, called her worthless. So she's she's really upset now, and Roshka's just thinking, "Am I going to stay lonely like this forever?" And then she feels something calming, something she's never felt before. Is this warmth? And Suzu's hugging her, and she says, "It's okay now." And Roshka starts to calm down. And Suzu says to her, when I was young, I was all alone among the humans. And, it's be- and she thinks it's because Matsuri became my friend that I'm the way I am today. And she says, you have to treasure your friends. Right, Ungai. And Ungai Kyo has hitched a ride in her hood. And Ungai apologizes for saying something so horrible. Roshka uh, calms down and they embrace and the golem fades away and Roshka is safe now. They emerge from the mirror world. And everything's cool now. Everything's back to back to normal as they fall over each other. Uh, but oh no, Suzu donned clothes in the mirror world and they just came out of the mirror world. So the mirror clothes can't come with her. So she's naked in Matsuri's lap with her boobs right in his face. Oh no, how could this possibly have happened? Uh, and uh, Matsuri basically goes comatose while Roshka says that Ungai and I have decided to concede to you. And uh, they are like celebrating while Suzu's like, okay, but I'm naked. And that's where the chapter ends. So, so fan service, the ending aside, mm-hmm. I did actually like this chapter. I thought that Suzu got to show off some cool stuff. And uh, I liked that, you know, she had a cool combination attack with Matsuri. So, I like the stuff that Suzu had. Unfortunately, with like the way the chapter was kind of bookended, I 
tend to forget about it when I think of the chapter. So I didn't have a super big feeling. I'm also just, I don't know. Like, I find myself getting less and less interested in Ayakashi Triangle. I guess the the fan service dumb, like, stuff is kind of gone. And now it's just actual kind of gross yeah. fan service. And that stuff doesn't interest me nearly as much. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do this stuff, at least do it in an interesting way. <laughs> I mean, Nick, it's very interesting. She does a standing leg split and shows off her fucking vagina to everybody. It's fine. Like, it's cool. I do like it. It's just like that stuff is something that like kind of deflates me as I read it. So I don't mm. come away with like a strong impression. Yeah, and I think that it's it's also a twofold thing um, that the stuff that the fan service stuff is very much distracting you from. And it, I think is now increasingly distracting from is also not as good as it was ju- not just a very short while ago. So it's kind of a twofold way of kind of making you fall out with the series. So, mm. but we'll move on from that because it's time for the best series of the week. Nick, it's Black Clover, page 286, 288, rather, Manifest. Um, I don't know who says this at the very start. It's a character from Black Clover, but I don't know who it is, who's just like, he went up ahead, and it's a big hurry. Um, So Asta shows up, and he's like, boom, I'm here. And he saved Nature Boy Ric Flair, People were saying Finral. Sure. I don't know. I, it was like the bottom corner of his hair. Sounds like Finral. Uh, Asked is just like, hey, because uh, you know, not Nature Boy Flair is like, you're extremely late, but I don't matter, though. Go go off and defeat the Dark Triad. And Ast is like, shut up. I care about you. You're stronger. Live and witness that strength. Look, it's a very sweet sentiment. And Nature Boy Flair has a moment. He's like, was I? hoping a new morning would dawn he's so edgy he has so many poetic thoughts he has to get into his head i wonder if he has just be tokoyami okay (laughs) don't go half ass on this be a lame edgelord or don't don't do this halfway in the middle but i'm actually cool because you're not i want to know if any thought does he have any thought that he doesn't go by that like if he just wakes up in the morning he's like looking for coffee he's like something black to drown my soul to match it it can't be stained. It's already too black. But he puts like a shit ton of creamer in it, so it's not even actually that black anymore. Oh, that's, oh, <laughs> Ooh, bitter. That's, that's really bitter. And uh, <laughs> No, I take my coffee black. Uh, I'm not allowed to have enjoyment in me. Uh, maybe maybe just five creamers and ten sugars. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll just dump this ice cream into it. <laughs> oh, man. What a poser. Uh, anyway, Asta... Uh, I mean, he does a big action scene. He spins around in a big tornado, and then he cuts them up. He unlocks. He unlocks his sword. He pulls out his eyepiece sword, and he and he's, wins. And he's super dramatic about it too, because he's like, "My third sword." Like really, like I feel like ninety percent of Black Clover chapters could be. You can take that clip and put it there. Asta pulls out his eye wind sword and he wins. He beats. You just take you just take you know the 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 meme edit of uh discombobulate from the Sherlock from the uh Sherlock Holmes movie and just it is just that just like insert you know 
the one move and that's how Asta beats everyone because that really is how it yeah he, he pulls out his sword that counters de- uh, devils although it's called the demon destroyer and it only that's only bothersome to me because I play D&D and follow magic and in those universes devils and demons are separate things that follow different rules yet for some reason both properties are owned by Hasbro, but the things are reversed. So demons are devils and de- devils are demons. It's a very confusing thing. Anyway, Asta beats everybody. And that's how the chapter ends. Well, to be fair, he beats one. He has, he's taken out one, but, um, you know, I assume it's not going to be too hard for him to pull out his, I win sword again and do it again. Uh, you know what they say? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But I am, uh, this is basically a, a, a critical podcast, so we have to. Um, but I will say the one nice thing I like about this chapter is the final two-page spread does look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just... I don't actually get the impression that Asta's fighting any differently than before he got this power-up. It doesn't strike me as very different. He does the tornado thing, but it's like... Yeah, but I feel like I could have seen Asta doing that before. So, yeah. Um, And he had that third sword before, too. Like, it's not even like his super devil abilities that make him do anything. He had that sword before. So, yeah, I mean, it's a new thing here. I I mean, I don't know. I guess the part of it that's meant to be kind of cool is him showing up, saving Nature Boy Ric Flair and giving him kind of like the reason to stick around. Like, hey, you know what? I know you're kind of an asshole but I care about you kind of deal. And that's fine. I dig that. I like that a good bit, but it's one of those things. It's just like, all right, it's another kind of Asta chapter where it's tough to care about the action in any meaningful way. Oh, well, maybe he'll do something different next chapter. All right. (laughs) Next chapter. He's like, I'm going to punch my second sword. (laughs) I made a fifth sword. He might already have five swords. I don't remember which one Yami's sword is. He only has three. He has four at least, because he has he Yami. He has Yami sword. Okay, that's that's true. That's true. Okay, maybe his fifth sword is actually his fourth sword, and his first sword just taped with the hilts together. I'd be great if he just grabbed a big piece of glass. He's like the fifth sword, and just throws it through someone's head. And they're like, ah, ah, oh, wait a minute, ah, all this pain is making it so I can't cast magic. Was that an anti-magic glass shard? He's like, it's the anti-brain sword. It's like, ah, it's so strong. Someone's like, you know, I I bet if I was super strong, I could do that too. (laughs) All right. Let's finish things off with One Piece, chapter 1009, Naraku. So there's a firefighting squad within Orochi Castle, I guess. They're trying to put out the flames of the fire that Orochi has set. Orochi runs into the Akazayan line, just, just in the hallway. They just run into each other. Um, so Orochi's attendant is like, Shogun Orochi, they aren't aware that you have already died once. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he warns Orochi to flee. And that he will stop the Akazaya, but uh, Orochi just says, "Silence, fool! I will be—I'll be surrounded by enemies on all sides if I go back into the castle. And besides, I can see Kaido's already softened them up. So tell me, are you Kozaki leftovers? 
Did I catch you by surprise with Conjuro? Well, you got me too, Kyoshiro. But let us overlook all those past treacheries. And he turns into his giant nine-headed or whatever it is, dragon form. I have nothing to fear from you. In your wounded state, I will devour every last one of you. After 20 years of trembling of your ghosts, you will feel my wrath. Boy, all of them, all of them cut his heads off. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> there you go. It is a really cool shot too. The, the heads flying everywhere while everyone's in the uh, in the uh, after uh, in the follow through of their strikes, and Orochi's uh, body collapses to the ground. Kitamon says, "We have no time to waste on you, Orochi. Your judgment will be served in hell." Uh, and uh, Raizo breaks off from them to turn to the attendant Fugurokuju uh, and says, "My opinion of you has risen." You've remained loyal to that fool to the very end. Furukurokuju says, I would say the same to you, but even before matters of revenge, you were always fated to fight, you and I. Weren't we, Raizo? And so, this is me just going over here like, sure, you were. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I'll be honest, even I'm at the point of like, I think these like, you say it, and I'm going to nod and go along with it, because I don't remember. I'm sure they've had some kind of discussion or interaction to some extent, but it's just like, I can only put... Look, you're like, just a step above fucking Kawamatsu. No, below Kawamatsu. Who's the least... Mm. Oh, uh, Izo. You're a step above Izo in the least interesting members of uh, <laughs> the Akasaki 9, but it's not a huge step between you. No. <laughs> We cut to the roof where Big Mom is saying to Kaido that they should give him a big one. Of course, we saw Luffy throwing himself at Kaido and just getting blown backward. No effect. Uh, so the others are strategizing because they're smarter than Luffy. Um, and uh, so, for example, like uh, they're saying, hey, Trafalgar, can you use your powers and send one of them below? And Law's like, oh, why not I think of that? It won't work because they're too strong. They, they won't. It's impossible to move them. So Kid says, well, in that case, time to disassemble. But at that moment, Kaido and Big Mom are standing facing each other with their weapons drawn back like baseball bats. And they strike the air together as everyone realizes this is going to be bad. And they unleash a combination attack. Conquest of the Sea, sending out a massive blast from their weapons. But Zoro steps forward and blocks the blast with his swords. <laughs> I love that specifically he does it, but he still has to open his mouth to shout. So there's just one frame of his sword hovering in his mouth. Taking the <laughs> it was that whole Zoro speaks with his heart thing in Adventure. Like now sometimes he just shouts. <laughs> yes. Uh, he calls back to the rest of them that they need to move or they're all done for. So he blocks the blast momentarily and everyone gets the fuck out of the way as this giant blast goes off in the direction, uh, that they swung their weapons. Uh, parts of the structure come crumbling down. Uh, but Kaido realizes right away that they haven't been finished off by this. He can hear them with his hockey. Uh, so they're all fine. 
Zoro's a little bit worse for wear because he had to, you know, get in front of the blast in order to buy them some time. <laughs> Killer says, wear a straw hat. He's attacking. That's what Luffy do. Uh, he, he swings a red falcon uh, towards uh, Kaido, who ducks his head out of the way. But this makes Luffy smirk because it's like, oh, did you dodge, Kaido? That one was going to hurt, right? Uh, Kaido responds by uh, hitting Luffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like fucking knocking it with his big fucking Oni club. Yeah. Uh, Luffy's able to cover up and block it with armament hockey, but even through the armament hockey, it really stings his hands. Kaido comes in for a follow-up attack and just blast breaths him, charges up his laser and blasts Luffy, who has to dodge out of the way, and then comes in with another follow-up attack. Conqueror of Three Worlds, Ragnaraku. His club is like flowing black lightning as he swings it. But I also that love that we get the visual of him. Like, I know he used it to escape. He kind of turned his lower body into like the serpentine version. But yeah. seeing him up there spinning it like that is pretty dope. Yeah. And he and he transforms back in and well, or rather he lands on his legs as after he comes down. I think he's just twirling his tail like there's his entire body ex the, just attached to that long serpentine tail. Mm. So. So after this attack, and Luffy, of course, is not killed by this. So Kid has made a box. It's a nice with, box. It's a nice box with his uh, scrap metal parts. And Big Mom spots this and is like, what the fuck is that? Law uses his room ability. And, the, and then Zeus, by Big Mom's side, is like, what, what are they doing? And then Zeus goes, boop. <laughs> and he's stuck inside the box and he's like where am I it's dark <laughs> Zoro then steps in and uses his flame cutting ability to cut apart Prometheus which Big Mom is perched on so she falls to the ground and then Zoro keeps on chopping into Prometheus and uses a flame run ability that just kind of slices and dices him meanwhile killer starts chasing away mom's sword so big mom is left without any of her three of uh, made most powerful weapons and so kids like all right here we go and starts shooting spears from his armaments at big mom but big mom says you think if you pry them away from me you actually have a chance of beating me and she just <laughs> hammer blows him <laughs> she's still very big and strong yeah Kid is pinned down, but Kid just lifts a hand up and says, repel. And after he latches onto her with one of his giant metal hands and Big Mom is sent flying into the air by a rocket punch. Then Law uses his ability and throws a rock at her and it hits her in midair and sends her flying. Big Mom says, you fool. What does it matter if you hit me with the... And she goes over the edge of the roof. <laughs> and her and Prometheus have been cut up. Her sword's being chased away. And from and Zeus is trapped in the box. And there's nothing but sea below her as she falls. And so but with the combined efforts of the smart people, it seems Big Mom's been <laughs> taken out of the fights. That's a pretty good thing. Yeah, well, she didn't she wasn't playing the edge game. 
she was playing the power game and that's good sometimes but in the games with ring outs you have to play the edge game too because that's just as valid that you know suddenly health isn't really the resource that matters anymore um <laughs> damn kirby <it> is <laughs> <laughs> fucking maxi bullshit combos um I, I it's a pretty cool thing now i have to assume I, it definitely looks like there's a special note placed on the fact that Zoro is pretty rough right now. We get the shot of him, yes. blah, blah, blah. So I wouldn't be shocked to see if there's something where some, like, Kaido shows up to basically stop Zoro from continuing to cut Prometheus, and that gives Prometheus to reform, and that's the opportunity for that. I think it's a very clever thing. I'm just worried. Like, I, I, it's awesome. It's very cool. I'm already in my mind trying to be like, okay, how does this not work? And I don't mean very, I don't mean that as a criticism or anything. Like I'm just like that's already mm-hmm. where my mind's going. Yeah, this was the first chapter that I read this week, and it was a very nice chapter to kick things off with. Like I said at the top of the episode, we had a lot of really cool action scenes in manga this week, and uh, this was one of my favorites. I don't know which one was the best because there were so many good ones, but really cool. Uh, the stuff with Orochi. Not quite as impressive, although it was really amusing to just see. Hey, Orochi's back. The next week he gets all of his heads chopped off. <laughs> yeah, I do like that he's basically the spamdom of this arc, where like he keeps getting back up just for new people to fucking own him. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. We had some really good chapters. What was the best one, though? Favorite chapter in MVP? Best chapter is easy. It's Dr. Stone. Like that payoff fucking like did things to me emotionally where I was just like, mm. fine. Oh, fucking God damn it. It so good. Uh, MVP is harder. I'm going to have to think on that. Mm. I am going to agree with you on Dr. Stone. I, th- I mean, there were so many cool hype moments this week, but that was one that felt like it was paying off something that had been set up a long time ago because it was. And that there's a le- another extra level of satisfaction that comes from that, that rewards you for following mm-hmm. along with the series and paying attention to it over a long period of time. That's one of the reasons that you, that we read one piece is because yeah. there's all this stuff that's been set up that eventually comes back and, and pays off. But, uh, out of everything that happened this week, Dr. Stone felt like this was the, you know, can't miss chapter. If you've been following along with these things, you have to read this one. And it was, unexpected honestly i really did not think that something that big was going to happen this way but yeah really really liked it my favorite uh, my mvp is going to go to kazama genba yeah the new character in the elusive samurai uh, i love his look or their look i guess i believe we're supposed to think that he's male um i love how they come off as intimidating uh, they show off their abilities and stuff, but then before the chapter ends, they get brought crashing down because <laughs> their way of intimidating Tokyuki has absolutely no effect. And it's just a perfect balance between cool, intimidating, dramatic, and silly, and uh, gives you everything. So yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I think I'm going to give it to Gemma as well. Yeah. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked Dr. Stone as their series a week, and... Uh... Runaway Toddler to Putaku as the character of the week. I definitely understand that. Yeah, it was it was a tough choice with some characters this week. Joel had a really cool thing to Putaku as well. Uh, the three man uh, combination in uh, Kaiju number eight. <laughs> Sakan coming through with the clutch leg <laughs> after doing nothing. <laughs> 
So good stuff this week of manga. And that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you guys for joining us uh, here for Weekly Manga Recap. We stream a live recording of the show Wednesdays, usually between about 7.30 and 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on twitch.tv slash T. And recordings of the show are available on fuck Twitter. Weekly Manga Recap to podbean.com. And iTunes. on our YouTube channel and on iTunes and on our YouTube channel as well. Video uploads where also our backlog is uh, getting posted okay. regularly. I think regular. it's all available now at this point. I think it's available. You'll probably still see upba- updates to it because they're like because of the weird way YouTube works. But yes. yeah, you might. Uh, I think you could find all of 2019 in its own uh, playlist and all of 2020 in its own playlist. So I don't know if those ones those ones shouldn't pop up on you're recommended though so if there's episodes you're looking for you can find them there also we're on spotify i know some people asked for that we've been on it for a while now um but just in case people didn't know and they're like hey i like playing on my playstation and that has spotify on there Mm. you know there you go i'll add that to my spiel cool we want to thank people who help make the podcast what it is ninjaxdi for all the help uploading all of the videos uh, to our YouTube and for maintaining the Google Doc where we keep track of stats associated with the podcast as well as recommendations, which you can add as well if you go on our Discord server. We have a wonderful community on there. You can discuss the recommendation that we talk about. You can discuss the weekly series when the chapters drop each week. And you can also join in on our Saturdayly weekly Among Us game. Yes, games, which is Among Us. Uh, we had a, a fun time figuring out the uh, giant new map uh, this past week. Uh, and uh, beyond that, we want to thank you guys uh, who help us out on Patreon. Your support allows us great fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And we want to thank Steve Manor, Tyrocard Artist. You can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And Milo Jack Stillis and Winsley Del Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, we got to do the new recommendation, right? Yes. All right. Uh, dear Sachan. What? Dear Sachan. You motherfuckers thought we had to wait till Sadistic September to read bad manga? Fuck no. We're going to do it we in don't. the middle of the year. No no hype. No buildup. We're just going to dig straight into fucking garbage. We've had too many good series. <laughs> I mean, okay. I don't really. I've heard this title before. Well, so I it's. I don't know anything about it. It's been so. initially recommended by uh, Eerie Gray. Uh, it has a lot of recommendations for it. Uh, it has a pretty long content warning on our thing. Uh, and I know it has exclusively, uh, an image on our emoticon on our discord because it has uh, a lot of very, it, it, it's a trash fire apparently. So, you know, something to look forward to. Yay. <laughs> so we've been very good. <laughs> the last couple of weeks of getting ser- uh, new series read because they've been, you know, short and easy to get through. Like we've been banging these out like one a week for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one probably won't. This pro- will probably take longer. So. Uh, I mean, it's only five volumes, 35 chapters. So it might not even take as long as that. But yeah, I was we'll like, see. yeah, well, we might need to breaks, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's that's going to do it. <laughs> OK, fun. Come on. <laughs>